Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil just $8.97 at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. See homedepot.com slash delivery for details. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the part of thunder and rock and roll. And finally, making his talk as Jericho debut, Jim Cornette is here. He gave Lance Storm and I a big break at Smoky Mountain Wrestling back in 1994. And you're about to hear the whole story behind the creation of the Thrill Seekers. I know most of you also heard me tell the story before about my broken arm in Smoky Mountain. But now you're going to hear Jim's side of it. I've never really asked him about it until now. We also get into the start of Smoky Mountain Wrestling, what inspired him to start his own promotion, and how he found his secret money guy, legendary music producer Rick Rue. We'll find out why his identity was such a secret back then. Corny's talking OVW as well and reliving the infamous Dairy Queen drive through story that I was the uh, conduit of. He's got stories about the Midnight Express, the riots, near-death experiences they suffered during their hero run in the Mid-South. They had to wear bulletproof vests. Yeah, that's real heat. They carried guns, sometimes crazy, wild, wacky stuff. The always controversial Jim Cornette is coming up right here on Talk is Jericho. And if it's more wrestling stories you're looking for, then book your cat. And now for Chris Jericho's Rock and Wrestling Rager at sea, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. We're getting uh, ready to sail next October, October 27th, a year almost to the day. And the lineup is already stacked. I'm your master of ceremonies, Chris Jericho. Jim Ross and Jerry the King Lawler are going to be the hosts of the cruise. Mick Foley will be there. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, Rey Mysterio, Lance Storm, and today, and uh, Cyrus from Killing the Town. Keep it 100 crew, Disco Inferno, Conan, Shane Helms, Hurricane, Beyond the Dark. Dave and Tim will be there to scare the pants off of you around Halloween season. Raven will be there. Ron Funches doing comedy. Jim Brewer doing some comedy. Brad Williams doing some comedy. Busted Open Radio is joining the festivities. And on the rock and roll side of things, Fozzie. Phil Campbell and the Bastard Sons, King, The Dives featuring Evan Stanley, The Dave Spivak Project, Spivak is here. We've heard him in his music right here in Talk is Jericho. Jim Brewer is loud and rowdy. The darlings of rock and roll, the Cherry Bombs. Shoot to Thrill, the world's best female ACDC cover band. Blizzard of Ozzy, the world's best Ozzy Osbourne cover band. And of course, the Coup de Gras. Ring of Honor is presenting the Sea of Honor aboard the ship. Matches happening in the middle of the ocean on a ring that's tethered to the ship. And the winner of the Sea of Honor tournament gets a Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship shot in the uh, near, near future. This is going to be huge. It's never been done before. And I wanted to tell you 
guys something too. When you buy a cabin, when you uh, get a cabin on the, on board, this is not like a convention where then you have to go and pay money to get autographs. You'll be getting autographs, hanging out, seeing these guys day in, day out. You might watch a Mick Foley comedy set with uh, with Chris Jericho. You might see uh, a Jim Brewer uh, comedy set with uh, Diamond Dallas Page. You might do yoga with Diamond Dallas Page. You might have a drink with uh, with, with with Conan. I mean, all of these guys are going to be hanging around, roaming the ship, and I'm telling you, when I did the Kiss Cruise the first day, everybody wants to talk to you. Second day, everyone sees you. Third day, you're just another guy on the ship hanging out, and that's what's going to happen. All of this stuff is all-inclusive. Okay, there's nothing extra that you have to pay for except for uh, booze and gambling. But all the meet and greets, all the rock and roll shows, all the live podcasts, all the stuff that we're going to be doing, the Ring of Honor, Sea of Honor, it's all inclusive. And you can get your cabin for as low as $150 deposit now, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. And if you book uh, in the first 400 cabins, you'll be uh, part of a special Q&A. And if you book by January 15th, you get a picture of me and the actual list. You can hold the list. You can write your own damn name on it if you want to you still got uh about two and a half months to get that take advantage of that offer there's already hundreds of people signed up for this cruise every day i get a report some days we sold a lot of cabins some days we sold less cabins uh i feel like it's almost like with my phone if it's a hundred percent you're in a good mood if it's five percent you're in a bad mood that's the same thing for me so go uh, get your cabin now reserve your cabin and make chris jericho a happy guy and also remember ddp is going to be there doing live ddp yoga workshops on the cruise you can try it up for yourself and experience exactly what DDP Yoga has done for me and thousands of other people worldwide like Christina Russell. Christina and her family were expecting their second child, but when she was about five months pregnant, she went in for her routine checkup and found out the sex of her baby, but unfortunately what Christina and her family found out was that the baby didn't have a heartbeat. She was devastated. She slipped into a pretty solid depression started gaining a lot of weight. But one day, her two-year-old son grabbed her and said, smile, mommy. And that's when Christina knew she had to do something to help herself because it was affecting her whole family. Well, Christina's husband had seen the amazing Arthur Borman DDP yoga video and showed it to her. Right after watching that video, Christina ordered the program, started doing DDP yoga the minute it arrived, and slowly began gaining her life back, all right? She could feel the physical benefits as she lost 65 pounds, that's right, doing DDP yoga. But she also regained gained some clarity from a mental and emotional standpoint, she took her life back. She did so well with DDP Yoga and became such a believer in the program that she's now a certified DDPY instructor. She even relocated her family to Georgia so that she could be one of DDP's celebrity trainers at the DDP Yoga Performance Center in Smyrna, where we filmed the Judas video, which is just a smidge away from 10 million views. Christina got her life back. You can do the same. And even happier news, the Russells just welcomed their beautiful baby girl to the family. Congratulations. DDP can get your life back on track mentally physically can do all the things uh that, that, that you want to do in life with a positive attitude and ddp knows all about that christina is just more proof that ddp yoga works for all ages weights and fitness levels you know what it did for me and it can do the same for you so go to ddpyoga.com slash jericho take advantage of the exclusive sale going on right now you can also download the ddp yoga now app on ios or android so that you can do ddp yoga whenever and wherever you are just like me i'm doing it in my hotel room as soon as i finish this intro own your life Start today, get in the best physical and mental condition of your life, and go do it now at ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. It's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. Go do it now, please. This, this is Talk is Jericho. Well, that's the secret of the secret of podcasting is you, you have your own experiences with, with each other, and this is really exciting because after all these years of doing this show, I finally got Jim Cornette here. 
Oh, are, are, we're actually we're doing on. this I just now. Start, I see man. a red light. I just jump in. Man. Just jump just, in. Just, Star Maker Bowling is uh, is uh, rode your coattails in here again uh, to chime in from time to time. The professional. He is now a professional mentionee. He is a WWE Hall of Fame mentionee. You were and in the front row the night that happened. Who mentioned you? I don't remember. I did. did. Oh, that's right. Remember on, on the, the, the transition when Lawler gave gave me the intro <laughs> and I said, "Boy, me and Star Maker Bowling used to hang out and back Chris in the Louisville Garden." Applauded. I saw him do it. Oh yeah, I stood up just for you, Stormy. I'm pretty sure. I, I, that, was it you that stood up? I wasn't sure. I think it was just for you. Yeah, and but others. Before you, you didn't have a lot. You told I thought you said you were just going to chime in and do a cameo. Yeah. I haven't even got yeah, a don't full get carried away. Out. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. You're the, yeah. you're, the, you're, the, you're, the, you're the co-star. Jimmy's the star. You're the, I'm, I'm sorry. You're but, the garnish here. I'm the steak. But no. But. <laughs> He's he's a professional mentionee because he's you know a WWE Hall of Fame mentionee. He's even got a ring. He didn't wear it today, but he got a, a WWE Hall of Fame ring for twenty dollars. I didn't oh. want to show off. And uh, and and now he's trying to see how many shows he can be mentioned on, because every time he's mentioned, a, an angel <laughs> his, gets its wings or something. I don't know. His indie rate goes up. Yeah, the, yeah. The, <laughs> you kidding? The indies can't afford him. <laughs> but I, I wanted to stand up for you that show because I didn't know if you'd have a lot of allies there in the WWE camp when you finally showed up after all these years to induct the rock and roll into the Hall of Fame. How did you feel about that? How was that experience? Well, I, there was a miscommunication at the start because instead of inducting the rock and roll, I thought the WWE wanted to indict me. And, <laughs> and but once we we settled that down, no, it was great. And you know, I like it that everybody treated me fantastic. Of course, I've never had a problem with. Many of the boys, most of the production people, when I saw Vince, I, I, I said, Vince, but he said, welcome home, Corny. And I said, well, he said, I know it's, you haven't always felt like it's your home. I said, well, Vince, I've never had words with you, but just several of the people that worked immediately underneath you. But it's like the difference between a guest in your home who you treat well and you get, bring out the best liquor and the good food and everything and your drunk brother-in-law that's sleeping in the spare room. When you're there all the time and you're underfoot, they don't treat you as nice. But when you just come in and every 10 or 15 years, bop in and bop in, well, you know. Yes, you know. Yeah, you got to come and go. That's how how they want you more. There you go. How can I miss you if you won't go away? Exactly. How did that that come about of them calling you? Um, I was next to the phone and it rang. And no, uh, actually, that's pretty much what it was. I saw a a, a 203. The dreaded 203. The dreaded 203 number that that I haven't had to worry about that one in so many years. Fired or hired. When you see that, in yeah, the or, or yelled at, yeah, one of the two, and uh, and it was uh, a gentleman from Talent Relations who uh, who said, uh, "Well, we, we want to have a talk with you. We wondered if I could set up a call." I said, "Well, we're talking now." Well, someone else wants to get on the phone. Can we set it up? So we did for the following week or whatever, and uh, and they said they wanted to honor the rock and roll and and that they thought I was the person to do it. So I couldn't be the prick in that instance and go i don't want to do it i'm mad at you guys yeah besides so many people that i'm mad at are now out of the way <laughs> there's still a few but many people i was mad at are, are were out you of the still way. mad at wwe at, at the, what do you what were you mad for them for um what well, i was i won't say i wasn't mad at, at them as an entity but there had been there had been uh, uh heated mm-hmm. exchanges uh, back in the closing days of ovw when uh when I said we're running our own business down here, and they said, no, you're running our storage closet, there was two different uh, – well, they didn't actually say that, but that's what they treated it like. So <laughs> there was two schools of thought. I thought that we should be able to do what we wanted with our own business since we were paying the bills and signing the leases, and they thought that, that we should do 
what they wanted us to do with our business. But wasn't OVW kind of a, a like a farm system, for lack of a better term, for WWE? Yeah, well, it was it was the original developmental yeah. program, and and uh, I guess not even the original. They'd sent some guys to Memphis to work for Randy Hales uh, about a year or so before we got started. But when I'd run into Danny Davis, I was visiting home down here Thanksgiving of '97. And I ran into Danny Davis at, at Clarksville Seafood. And he showed me his school. And I said, my God, here's an escape hatch. Uh, someday, when the time is, as Abdullah the Butcher used to say, when the time is right, <laughs> I can move out of Connecticut and come back to Louisville. And, and the time was right in 99. So, so we had set that up. But Danny had been operating for about uh, six years at that point. And then I ended up with a, a ownership of a piece of the company in exchange for bringing the, the program down and being the booker and, and uh, matchmaker, announcer, uh, part-time popcorn popper, etc. We did almost everything ourselves, and, and I was looking at it as, as running a territory uh, that was contracted to, as part of our business operation, to train and develop and give experience to the WWE talent. But it, mm. as it got further, as they got our, uh, their hooks further and further into us, there was sometimes they would pay us not to do business with people they were mad at. Oh, but did that surprise you? Isn't that kind of Vince's way? Um, no. Well, I was smoking the hopium. And I was thinking, I'm down here. They'll the never, hopium? The hopium. Yeah, I'm down <laughs> here. They'll never notice what's going on. And so if we keep sending them stars, it'll be great. And uh, we kept sending them stars, but they, so you're saying that they you wanted want, so much more. You wanted it to be your own separate entity that was kind of governed by WWE, and they wanted to tell you who to push and what to do and kind of that sort Oh, of yeah, thing. you know, and that's where my, my best-selling T-shirt, available at jimcornette.com, the Plug. official thank you for you buy t-shirt which is sold in the thousands now uh it actually says thank you says thank you you buy because that's a voicemail i left to john laurinaitis uh one day because please tell the story oh well see that's the thing is they would call on wednesday we did our tv tapings on wednesday and i'm sure mr star maker remembers some of these they'd call on wednesday at five o'clock when me and danny davis the entire technical crew that would be me and danny davis (laughs) were going over what we were going to shoot that night and they'd say well put Put so-and-so on TV tonight. I can't. It's already written. We'll just change it. I can't. We don't have a staff here. You should have told me this last week. I would, I'm, as you know, you know I'm, already, I'm always booked six weeks out, sure. and I have all this preparation. Yeah, you have uh, plans. Plans, yeah. et cetera. Or use this guy. We can't use that guy. We sent him home because he's got shingles. He's contagious. We'll just put him in a promo. We can't. He's home because he's contagious. He's got skin rot. Right? So finally, one day, Doug Basham who was my top heel and the best worker in Ohio Valley wrestling and a tremendous physical condition, great, tremendous upside to him. They managed to beat that out of him. But he left the previous week as my OVW champion with long hair, looking like a rock star with his great physique and the long hair and the leather pants. And he walks in the back door the next week, bald headed, looking like a 40 year old truck driver. I said, what the have you done? He said, well, I was at SmackDown, and they they wanted me to shave my head because they wanted the creative team wanted to see what I would look like bald. Oh my gosh! I said they're the creative team, and they can't pretend and imagine. So I called Laurinaitis, and he knows not to take my phone calls on Wednesday because I'm calling to cuss him. So I said, John Laurinaitis, my top heel just walked in looking like a forty year old truck driver. If you'd have told me you wanted to see him bald, I would have booked the match. I would have had him shave his head in the middle of the ring, and I would have sold some tickets to it. So tell your creative team to be more fucking creative and pretend next time thank you fuck you bye Boom. 
And when I told the story, uh, it it is it has come. It's become one of my my phrases a company yeah, sure. associated sure, with sure, me. Sure, yeah. So now the the official T-shirt. <laughs> it's good for the it was good for the inauguration. Oh yeah, and and definitely good if you're planning a trip to Washington. But also at, at Christmas time, it was good for when the family comes by, or you know your office Christmas party or whatever. But really, it's a year round thing. Thank you. You buy. It's like Aloha. You can use it. For was, you can use cases. it anyway. I was pretty sure that you stole that idea from me because if you'll remember, mm-hmm. at the Golden Corral just a week or so ago, uh-huh. I presented my T-shirt. Thank you. Thank you. Good day. And on the well, back of my shirt, it says, I said good day. Yeah, because he, he did say good day. And, that, and, and I Sir. may have subliminally stolen it from, from, from you. Let's talk a little bit more about OVW because it's, it was interesting. I was looking at the – I had Cena on this, and we were looking at a picture of Cena, Batista, Brock, and Shelton Benjamin, I think. Yeah. All four of these guys came in through OVW. Just like unbelievable, and they had Randy Orton. Oh, well, was Orton. I'm sorry, it wasn't Shelton. It was Orton. Yeah, but well, but Shelton was in the same class. Uh, and actually, that was just part of the class. And uh, Victoria, uh, I think, was in the same class. And uh, you know, Mickey J. But I mean, we, we counted one time some like uh, 130 or 135 guys either started from scratch and made the main roster. Uh, started from scratch at OVW. Uh, had some early training. Randy Orton had, had like seven or eight matches mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Or spent a significant amount of their time, even after they had been in the business, uh, once they got a developmental deal. But we also, this is what a lot of people have overlooked, we used to find guys on our own with the camps that we would have. And they would come in and they would pay tuition at the school to learn, but they would get developmental contracts out of it because we constantly had... Uh, agents and 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 people coming down from the office to look at who they already had had purchased, mm-hmm. and all of it, and we're stocking the shelves with a bunch more. Drop, you know, uh, drop uh, a few, drop a few of those names that came through the camp. Well, I was going to if you'd let me let me get <laughs> get there. Um, and it, but it, the problem was it was a double edged sword because we, Danny had already trained guys here that really could go like Nick Dinsmore and Rob Conway, Doug Basham, the Damage those guys. Early on, we're doing the in-ring training for the guys that the WWE office would decide a developmental, and they'd bring them in. And basically, you know, Nick and those guys would get in the ring with them, teach them. And, and then we had to argue, why don't you give the guys that are training your guys contracts? So they finally gave them contracts. But then as it went on, we found that Johnny Jeter was one of my, my favorite yeah, projects because yeah, yeah. you came down here and, and worked, worked with him at Six here, Flags. Yeah. And a thrill seeker Johnny Jeter, <laughs> and to me he was he was you know Ricky Morton with no bad habits. He he was that same size. He could sell his ass off. He looked. He's good the physical. only guy that I've ever taken a lion salt from. There you, there you go. I've given thousands. He's the only one that ever took one from because he did it. And and I thought this guy is going to be you know a massive baby face in the future. And of course he ended up being one of the Spirit Squad. And and after that experience he quit the business. <laughs> he, here's the Johnny Jeter loaded everything he owned into the trunk of his Firebird and drove from San Diego to Louisville and got a job at Chili's waiting tables to pay for his wrestling school tuition. He was so good in a year and a half. He was the OVW champion. He gets a developmental contract. He gets that gimmick, and by the time he got finished with that gimmick, he drove back to San Diego, <laughs> quit the business, and became a physical therapist. Uh, and Mike Mondo, who was one of the 
technically best performers in in the business. You know, he got slaughtered in that gimmick as well. It was a mass mass murder. Mass murder, of, yeah. yeah. Gimmick. Only survivor was Dolph. Um, barely, but you yeah. know, but when you go back and he, and he had to change his name. Yeah. You know, enter the federal witness protection program for a little <laughs> while, and then you know, and, and then he became the second coming of Kurt Henning. He's just amazing. Mm-hmm. But you know, so many of those guys. That's what I really enjoyed was getting an opportunity to train those guys and to teach them a little bit of respect for the business, hopefully. We used to send our referee out to make sure guys were kayfabing around town. If they weren't, they got fined. Wow. Or they had to maybe pick up some garbage or do some extra work or whatever. Hey, here's the thing. They were here for a year, but I was here for good, and it's my business. So why do I want them going out and dropping a turd on my business in my town when they're only visiting, but i got to live here? Especially in the area of the country where people still, at the time, believed. Yes. I mean, you know, we were a wrestling school, but we were putting – as you saw, 1,500 people in Six Flags every yeah. Friday night. And, and we would do the big events at the gardens before they closed it. Where we ran three events in a space of 18 months that did $150,000 at wow. the gate. And, and we, we did one sellout. We had uh, 5,000 people, 4,000 people for one and, and 3,000 people for another. Storm, I recall that one. Yeah, well. and, yeah, uphill in the snow both ways. But <laughs> I worked one of those was, against Flash Flanagan. Yes, yeah. yes. But when you can do three events like that with a local broadcast television and draw twelve or 13,000 people and, you know, 150 grand at the gate or whatever, or when you can do something like that at Six Flags, we were using a combination of the WWE stars that could, would come in and the OVW guys that were here on, on local television, and we were really getting the local sponsors involved, and we had business going pretty well. And, I mean, we did a string of – the building was full for TV at Davis Arena on Wednesday nights, 500 people for something like four years. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we had a snow once or twice. Yeah. But Let me ask you a quick question. Zach Wilde's a friend of mine, Ozzy's a guitar player, and he told me that he would write sometimes these wicked riffs and then hand them to Ozzy and then get them back with like like one was Perry Mason. He goes, I wrote this ridiculously cool riff and it comes back with the lyrics of Perry Mason on it. <laughs> and I rolled down the truck, the my window of my truck, and I threw it out the fucking window. My question, my point is when you talk about a guy like uh, Johnny Jeter and you know how good he is and you send him away as a riff and suddenly they bring him back as a cheerleader, how does that feel for you uh, as as one of his fans, as his mentor, all these other things? That's why I've got the bald spot (laughs) up here. I would tear my hair out of my head. Nick Densmore. Yeah. Great wrestler. Great point, yeah. Uh, Once again, he's a guy I brought Chris Benoit in. And had a match with him at the gardens, and he went 30 minutes and tore the house down. It could have, it could have aired on Raw. It could have aired on a pay-per-view. In-ring performance, Nick was as, as good as anybody on the roster could hang. Yes. But the, the way he gets his chances to become Eugene. Okay, and this was as it affected our business. And, and Bolin remembers this. I, I can used testify to, he lost his mind. Yeah, I, I, Jimmy did or Nick I, did? I, Jimmy, did. I lost. I lost. I lost my rabbit ass mind. Now, Eugene w- was a was a uh, uh, mentally basically mentally handicapped, Chal- challenged, challenged, mentally yeah, challenged whatever. performer. Yeah. Well, and here's the thing: there was always a headbutting with how what they were doing was affecting our business because I would do surveys of my fans, the 500 people that came every Wednesday night or the people that came to Six Flags or whatever. They'd fill out surveys and get a free picture or whatever. What do you like? What do you don't like? What do you want to see more of? Like one time, 60% of the people said, I don't know why the WWF makes our, our favorite wrestlers look so stupid, right? <laughs> so what happens is Nick Densmore 
as a, a graduate, he's from southern Indiana, uh, Jeffersonville, Rest Sellersburg. He, he was a part-time school teacher over there, had a degree, but anyway, he could always go back to the annual uh, live event at his high school and draw five, six, seven hundred people, right? It's Nick Densmore coming home. He's a big TV star. <laughs> As soon as they put him on national TV as Eugene, through 250 people when he came back. Oh. Would you want to admit that this guy went to your school? That's it was true. a big deal. So I would actually, I would give them guys that I had gotten over, that people took to the gimmicks, that the people took to them, and they would change things on television. So when the guys came back, they were less valuable to me uh, to sell tickets uh, than they were before they went to national TV, right, which right. was, as you know, me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, it was leading to a lot of broken furniture in the house. <laughs> and, and yeah. what was it? Baseball bats. When Batista went up, what did oh, they do? Oh, good Lord. Oh, good Lord. Classic. The most over gimmick we ever had. The people gave him standing ovations every time he came out. Leviathan, the demon of the deep, the guardian of the gates of hell, the right hand of Satan himself. So he came right. out of the Ohio River. He came out of the Ohio River. I researched that from Kevin Sullivan bringing Purple Haze up in, in Florida. I mean, you know, when I first saw him, he was not a natural. And I'm going to knock Dave here because he knocked OVW, so I'm going to knock him a little bit. But he did have good attributes. When I first saw him, he wasn't a natural. He hadn't really been a lifelong wrestling fan. He didn't know how this stuff was supposed to look. And off of the Samoan up in Pennsylvania had taught him how to write a check. Otherwise, yeah, taught, Annette, oh, taught, taught him how to write a check meaning? To, to go to his wrestling school. Oh, gotcha. Yeah, that's, what he, that's what he had learned so far. So <laughs> That's what Keith Hart taught me to do. Them, there Hart, there you Hart have it. You know yeah. the drill. Yeah. So he's here for two weeks, and he tears a bicep oh, just in, in class. Yeah. Well, that gives him a chance to have the surgery, and he goes out, and he sits, and he watches. So we, it actually gave him a chance to sit and watch for a little while. But I said, look at you. I said, you can't be taking sec- arm drags in a second match. You have to be a main event attraction physically. Look at you, six foot five, three. I mean, he was jacked Massive. to the gills, tattoos, and oh my god, yes. So we put the the chain what around. Did you his just neck say to the gills, Jack to the gills. You said <laughs> Leviathan. Yeah, there you go. We put the contact lenses in. We put the chain around his neck. Leviathan, the demon of the deep, and he was invulnerable. He was unstoppable. He sold nothing. We had people break shit over his head. He never did a job. He beat up two and three people at a time. He was, he was powered by, you know, the, 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 the sorcery from the dark side, right? Because I'm thinking, okay, we can steal pay-per-views. We, meaning they, can steal pay-per-views with The Undertaker, Kane, Big Show. At the time, I think Austin was still uh, uh, at McFoley. Yeah, 99, for, you know, 2000, for sure. Yeah. Well, it was at 2001, 2 okay. So, yeah. I, you know, right, the point is, all those top guys, you can get, because I saw Dave's a little older than people know. And he was injury prone. He was not a natural. I'm figuring he's going to have a short window. Let's get it while it's hot. And for five to seven years, which is coincidentally about what his career <laughs> yeah, ran, yeah, yeah. you can have matches with all these big guys. And he doesn't need to be on TV every week. And he doesn't need to be wrestling every week. Let's create an attraction for the big guys, right? And him an Undertaker. That's why, actually, I brought, uh, brought both Kane and Undertaker to the gardens to work with him so that because that's the same thing I did when Kane was in Smoky Mountain, I brought Taker down there. So, okay, here's your future pay per view opponent. Gotcha. Now you take him, see what you can get out of him. And if you can get the things you want out of him, then you go up and you tell the boss, hey, I got a guy I can make money with. That's the way the wrestling business works. Mm-hmm. So we did all that. 
and a tailor-made gimmick for Taker and Kane and Big Show and blah, blah, blah. And they bring him up and they put him with Devon and hang that box around his neck and put a suit a on suit him. suit on him, cover up his muscles. The deacon. The... And again, Jimmy loses his <laughs> I lost my mind. <laughs> and then, then, then they were on the verge of firing him when he started working out with you know Triple H. And then, then when he, he, he wrote his book, he said, well, I didn't learn anything in OVW. Oh. Well, it must have been because he wasn't trying because he was sitting over it. I swear to God. I set him down one time in front of Glenn Jacob, in front of Kane, at Les Thatcher's event at the casino. I, I said, Glenn, I said, I've, I've asked you to come down here because here's a future opponent for you. Boom, you guys do whatever you want to do tonight. Dave, tell him, tell him what you'd like to do. Well, I, I do a spear. Okay, and Glenn said, what else? Well, he was a very frail and, and shy demon. <laughs> Because he didn't embrace the gimmick. He didn't, he didn't get everything he could out of it. And he also claimed he got sick a lot. And he because, got sick a lot. Because you made him shave his head. What? His head was... He, he had that much hair when he got here. It was that long. I, I just said just shave it the I rest said, of the way. if that's the case, about 98% of the NBA should be in a hot. He, he, he would sit in the corner of the locker room with and a shiver. hoodie on, oh, shivering all the time. <laughs> yeah. He's always cold. He's always he's a frail demon. He's a cold demon. And he I, was a cold I saw demon. all this happen. This, this now, did, 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 did your fans, like... I'm not, they're not going to believe he's really a demon from the deep, but, I mean, were they buying into the Oh, my God. Character? Well, that's the thing. He got over as a heel because he was an unstoppable heel that sold nothing. He got over as a heel so well that they started cheering him, mm-hmm. which is exactly where we wanted to go right, with that right, right. because then and he's the being managed by the evil Wicked Witch of Kentucky and a sin as part of the group, the Disciples of Sin. So when they finally start cheering the demon – and start, you know, uh, uh, wanting him to to break away from this. That's when we split up, and then he's fighting the disciples of sin, and blah blah blah. And he becomes a babyface on his way out. <laughs> he did two jobs in what a year, year and a half here in OVW. One was to uh, Kane at the Louisville Gardens when after Stone Cold Steve Austin stunned him, and the second was to the prototype John Cena when Leviathan had to lose the OVW title because he was going up there, and when Cena put him out with Ether. <laughs> that's the only way you can defeat Either. this guy, right? <laughs> so he did two jobs in a year and a half. And he said, I just, I just didn't like my time in OVW. It's funny. The second match I ever had in Pinoca, Alberta, uh, I lost via Ether. And I'm a second match nobody. And for whatever reason, I had to be protected by losing to Ether. And the promoter was adamant that it had to be real Ether because if not, the people wouldn't smell it. They wouldn't buy it. Dude, there's like 60 people there, and they put rubbing alcohol. It wasn't really ether rubbing, and they stuck that damn thing over my mouth, and I passed out. Just, you can't breathe. And like for that one, that one, that one fathead sitting in the front row. Ho- hopefully, you smelt the rubbing alcohol because it well, almost Jim, killed. Well, actually, you know, it would have been better for you if it was also if it was ether, and also if they'd have known how to do it. Well, tell us about ether. I'm but sure this what, is an old school wrestling finish. Well, where yes, it's it, ether you, is like a uh, like a liquid that makes you go to sleep. Well, ether is is a liquid if you want to go to the hospital and get that medical grade ether. But if you want to just do a gig for a wrestling show, go to any auto parts store and get a can, a spray can of engine starting fluid. Engine starting fluid has an ether base, <laughs> and that way, because if you just dump liquid out on a cloth, nobody can smell it anyway. But if you get that can and you tape it around so they can't see what it is, and you shake it up and you spray the towel in front of everybody, then they can smell. That's ether. <laughs> then, 
you spray the bottom part of the towel, uh-huh. and then when you drop the can and you go into the ring with the towel, you flip it over so the dry part is what you put over the guy's face, and then you tell him ahead of time, hold your breath, because it still will make you sicker than shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and that way, we, we, put, we put Tommy Rogers of the Fantastics out one night in Jackson, Mississippi, in the ring with the ether. It was Jackson Coliseum. It was 150 degrees, a summer night in Jackson, Mississippi, and the Coliseum's full. And he was sucking wind because he'd just done a 20, 25-minute match. So he he actually breathed enough of that. He started going into convulsions, getting sick and puking. <laughs> and as we run to the back to the locker room, they drag him out back to the back door where the cattle chute was, where the guys parked and, and you know all the barns were and everything for the rodeo shows. And they lay him out there so that he's heaving and he's puking and he's trying to get some fresh air. And the fans have run around and seen this. And we knew there was trouble, so we grab our shit and we're just going to get in our car and go. Well, they've got him laid out by the back door. So we literally, in view of the fans, after we've ethered this guy and they can see him puking and laying there going into convulsions, we step over him. To go to our car, it caused a riot. The cops are like, these people are going to drive, and if you ain't out of the way, we ain't going to see it. And we, you know, to get out of there. So it, it, they, the ether used to get more heat than anything else. Yeah, a lot of heat. You mentioned that the prototype used the ether. What did you think of Cena when he first came in? Um, we, we all thought, especially the promos. The promos he had from the beginning. Yes. But also, Danny Davis knew he was going to be a star. When the first day he walked in with his bag and Danny said, oh, hello, John, we've heard a lot about you. If you need anybody to help you look around town and, and find a place to live or whatever, just, oh, I've already taken care of that. I came in last week. I found my apartment. I've rented my furniture. He had everything. He had a cable hooked up, everything. Mm. So immediately Danny says, okay, he's going to be all right. And as soon as we saw the promos and just the way he, he was still green as far as working, but you know, when you look at somebody, you can just tell the way that they move in the ring originally. Okay, this is going to be an uphill struggle, or this guy seems to be a natural. Um, John, in-ring in was not a Kurt Angle or The Rock as far as being that natural, but he knew what was going on, and athletically he had it, but just the personality and the fact that he was he was smart and he was with it and he wasn't going to be a problem child. Danny had him driving the ring truck in like six weeks. Who, Danny doesn't let a lot of people drive that truck. <laughs> Back then they didn't know. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. 
of all the guys in OVW, who do you think would best come out? Is it seen? Is it those type of guys? Um, well, it, talking about uh, box office or talking about performance? Either or. John Cena, it, it'd be hard to find anybody in the last 20 That's years true. that, that would be on top of John in box office. But as far as performance, well, we mentioned Dolph. I mean, he was he's just incredible. I did not see that coming. Mm. Um, I, he was good, but I didn't see the, the personality and just the, the everything so sharp. Um, I was worried about Randy Orton for a little while because I don't think originally he was into mm-hmm. the business as much as he should have, but he had it in his genes. You remember the quote he made. You remember the quote he made that Danny recorded him saying. Well, I, okay. Well, let me set the scene for it, and you can give him the quote. He's right. sitting at the announcer's desk in the old Davis Arena. And watching one of the classes. And he didn't know that the microphone on the desk was on because Danny was recording on video the class that was going on in the ring, and that turned the microphone on. And what, what was it he said? He's, he was uh, talking about uh, how well he liked it or didn't like it at OVW, and he said, basically, I'm here for the damn 750 bucks a week. <laughs> <laughs> that massive amount. And, Danny loved that. And so Danny brought him in one day, at, at the next day or whatever, in the in – the, uh, in his office where he had all of his equipment, and he said, let me play you something. And he oh. played that, and Randy heard himself. And he's, oh, okay. Now, Chris, I got but a question he's, for you. He's, you he's, made, he's made more sense then, though. So. Yeah, oh, yeah. I was going to ask you, do you think he's working for seven fifty a week now? Right. He'd be happy with that. I'll say something about Randy Orton. Is I, say, I say this to him all the time. When I, when we, we, you, know, you work with somebody, you don't work with them for a while, you come back and work with them again. He is the best worker in the company, yeah. and he doesn't even know it. And I'm not even sure he's really trying because he is so good, just naturally, yeah. better than most. I think if he actually turned the dial up, he'd be so far. But he's he's already better than most. So I don't think he really goes super crazy. You know what I mean? Like I'm not saying yeah. he's not trying, but I always say, dude, you're so good. You don't even you don't even know how good you are. You well, don't. He doesn't. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle told me one time. He said he when he was teaming with Ray Stevens, Nick would get in and start the match. And he'd be trying as hard as he could. And trying to stay on on point with everything, and then he'd tag Ray Stevens, and Ray Stevens would get in and be better than he was without even trying, while yes. he's telling jokes and looking at the girl in the front row. Right, and that's what I'm saying about Randy. He's better. He's better than me, and he's not even really trying. I don't think. You yeah. know, he's just that natural, typical third generation guy came through the business that way. But he's yeah. just. It's just something about him. Everything he does is just perfect, you know. So. Chris, I don't know if you remember the DVD My Life that they came out with uh, to promote John Cena. Uh, Vince McMahon was on that DVD making the quote, I didn't get it. I didn't see it. I, Orton? I, no, no, it was no, Cena. Cena. Yeah, I know he didn't. He did not think Cena would be a star. And uh, the rest of us going, I don't know what he's not seeing. Yeah, I, 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 but I always, I, I had envisioned him as a as a heel, kind of an updated Ric Flair type mm-hmm. of heel, because he was very good with the promos and he had the heel mentality psychology. But I never truthfully dreamed that he would be the, the babyface. To me, he's much less the guy. Yeah. To me, he's he's five times the heel that he is the babyface. Do you think I'm they'll ever turn him heel? I if if I was their banker, I would question why they would. You know, because it's Vince, right? It, but, well, yeah, in this but, day and age, wouldn't he still sell the merchandise though? I don't. Well, you know more about it than I do these days. A, a lot of the merchandise is 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 mm. kids and 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 mothers and women, buying yeah. for kids. And, and you've things. done you've done both equally. Uh, did you notice much of a hit? I don't allow them to make merch for me when I'm a heel. Yeah, I don't want that. 
Imagine that. that. Oh, yeah. go, there, go, go, Chris, go, go, Chris, go, Chris, go. That's as you know this, Jimmy. There's yeah. a certain commitment you have to make to being a heel, including okay, maybe there's going to be a riot. Maybe someone's going to take a swing at me. Maybe someone's going to try and stab me. All that stuff goes into being a heel, and it still works to this day. But I'm not going to say it's a lost art. But guys don't want to commit like that. I don't think as much. You know, that's the that's the reason why we didn't go the Midnight Express, and I didn't go to the WWF in 1986. Why is that? We're working in Charlotte. Which version of Midnight Express is uh, this? Bob Eaton and Dennis Connery. Dennis Connery, gotcha. We're working in Charlotte, and we're the tag team champions there. That year, we made close to 200 grand a year apiece. Wow. Okay. And 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 I mean it, the rock and roll first year of the rock and roll rivalry in Crockett Promotions. So everything is hot and selling out. Ernie Ladd calls us one day. I'll make a story short. I'm working for Vince McMahon up in New York now. I'm a talent scout. Have I ever steered you wrong? Have I ever lied to you? You can make more money up here than you've ever dreamed of. That's what the big cat said. <laughs> it was all, well, Ernie, we certainly, you know, on your say so, we'd like to discuss this. They bought a ticket for each of us to fly up on our one day off that month. When we used to work every day of the month but one, right? Our one day off, we're going to fly to New York. We, we don't want it out. We want this to be a secret meeting. So Vince has agreed to have us driven from the airport to a hotel, and he'll meet us in the room, and we'll have a private meeting there. So we're getting on the plane, and there's Tully Blanchard's best friend that works for U.S. Air that sees us on the jetway. What flight to New York? What are you guys doing? Oh, we're just taking a a little, and we got our bags. And no, no family with us. He knows we're only off for one day. So anyway, we get up there, and Vince comes and meets us. And to be honest. Uh, I'll, I'll get to the meat of the matter. The majority of the conversation was not what we expected here being in the wrestling business was who would our opponents be? What kind of, you know, what kind of angles right. would we get a run with the belts? Uh, you know, what kind of starting money might we have? What kind of money do you think we might make? Um, you know, how are your plans to use us, et cetera? He talked about opportunity, which now is I've, I've gotten more used to Vince. I know that, that that wasn't just us. But he spent so much time talking about these brand-new dolls they're going to do. <laughs> dolls, dolls. They didn't call them action figures then. They were dolls. dolls. Oh, they're going to look just like you, pal. And we're going to make these molds and everything. It's going to be incredible. So basically at the end of the meeting, we said, well, we'll get back to you, sir. We're thinking, what the f- Number one, why would anybody want to buy anything of us? We're heels, right? They should want to yeah, tear yeah. up our pictures and throw them in our faces. And since we didn't hear anything about, okay, you know, you're going to have a run with so-and-so with the, the Rockers or the Bulldogs, or you're going to get the belts, or you're going to do this, or your money is something like that, just opportunity. Well, opportunity. We're living in Charlotte. We're working with all yeah, our best yeah. friends. We're making a couple hundred grand a year piece 30 years ago. We won't rock the boat, and it's probably the best decision for everybody. But then later on when we heard Iron Sheik got a check for like 80 grand for dolls, we're like, wait a minute, what the f***? <laughs> Sometimes your pride gets in the way of the actual money that yeah, you made, Yeah, but right? it couldn't compute to us why, why anybody would buy merchandise of ours or why we would want them to. Because if, sure. if they did, that would indicate that they liked they us like instead you. of hated us. Right. If some guy's going to have a Jericho shirt in the crowd, that's one less guy that's going to be booing and one more guy that's going to be cheering, which takes the pendulum the other way. 
You're you looking know? at the only guy in, in the Louisville Gardens, Star Maker Bowling over here, that used to have a Jerry Lawler T-shirt on when Lawler was a heel, and I'm surprised you got out of the building alive. I was about to point that out, but when the fans would throw stuff at me, their aim was so bad they'd hit everybody else but me. <laughs> but I would be sitting in the first row. With you the were cheap a smaller seats. target then. I was a smaller target then, but I'd be in the first row with the cheap seats, and it eventually led to how I met Jimmy as a girl named Debbie Georges, and she wasn't. Uh, introduced, <laughs> introduced me to Jimmy, and but Jimmy's front row seat was always open because he was taking pictures. And what did he have? An abundant supply of pictures of my favorite wrestler in the world, Jerry the King Lawler. So I buddied up with Jimmy, took his front row seat, and I got all the pictures he didn't want. <laughs> he was sitting in my seat, <laughs> flipping through my pictures. Sitting right next to Mal Cornette every week. Yeah, there you go. Let's talk about uh, a little bit more about, about the art of being a heel, because you are were a great heel. Tell me some of the more uh, uh, dangerous predicaments you got into, maybe with fans or whoever, because of the work that you did, and they hated oh, you so much. Um, well, there's there's the ludicrous one that I always like to tell. In Little Rock, Arkansas, one night, they're bringing us back from the ring. This is where I got my first bulletproof vest because the city police worked security in Little Rock at Barton Coliseum, and they had gotten a new set of vests. And one of the cops that worked the matches brought his old one to me and said, you know, I think you probably need this worse than I do. What He said, now, it'll stop bullets and, and it'll stop knives, but now ice picks could still be a problem. I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> And, but in, in, in Little Rock and in Tulsa, I would wear that in Mid-South Wrestling because we had – in Tulsa, we had six riots, six shows in a row in the Midnight Express match. We got the Tulsa City Police kicked out of doing the security for wrestling matches when the Internal Affairs Department investigated their behavior during the Midnight Express match where they had fans actually – they were nightsticking them, and, and they had them stacked up in a row – uh, next to the back door where they were going to take them into the paddy wagon once they got them finished, but they were hitting them hard enough where they'd lay there without handcuffing them because they had to run back out and wow. whack some more. Wow. It, I think they, they carted off 12 that night because we screwed to Rock and Roll Express. Wow. And here they came. So, But one of the people that they nightsticked was a highway patrolman's son, and he pitched a fit. Uh. So they kicked the city police out of doing the security for Tulsa wrestling matches. The next... Uh, show we have the sheriff's department county sheriff's department they send all their old retired sheriffs that do normal security right oh boy the match before ours nikolai volkov is going to the ring one of the fans tries to hit nikolai volkov over the head with a chair and misses and horse collars one of the deputies (laughs) so here two of the old deputies that are like 65 years old bring this (laughs) other deputy whose feet are dragging like that right back I said, what happened? They told me. I said, my God, they wanted to kill me. They've just, they're beating up the police, right? Right. In Little Rock one time, we came in and noticed that there was a lot of cops in, in the back area, right? And we got the story that somebody had called the box office and said, uh, do you have any front row tickets? They said, no, those are all sold out. You can't get any closer than such and such. Well, give me the closest thing you got because I'm going to shoot that Ted DiBiase. So they took that as a credible death threat, and DiBiase's working with Duggan. He goes out. There's cops all around the ring looking up at the crowd, right, not looking at the match and looking at the crowd. And they walk him back, and he emerges unscathed. Nobody shot him. There's only one match left, the Midnight Express versus the Rock and Roll, with me in a straitjacket hung in a cage over the ring. So now there's a frustrated assassin, a sniper, if you will, somewhere in the Barton Coliseum that didn't get to shoot his first pick 
And this is the last match, and I'm up in the air, so there's no way he can hit anybody else. I've, I've got, so I, I dropped down in the bottom of that cage and scrunched up like that, and I'm looking over at the boy screen, hurry, hurry. Go home. Uh, but in, in Little Rock, one time, the, uh, we're, we're going back from the ring, and I looked down when I got back, and the cops had, had surrounded us, and there was this big 400-pound guy. He would bear hug me and he'd back down the aisle with the other cops around us okay. because then he could look over my shoulder and nobody could get me through him because he was so big but i looked down and from my hip all the way down to my shoe somebody had vomited all down my leg either they saved it from <laughs> home and brought it with them or they can throw up on cue one or the other but it was actual puke <laughs> uh we had to pull our guns to get out of the parking lot charlotte coliseum a couple times um we in home of louisiana the rock and roll saved our life uh because we were getting in the car to leave after the matches, and 10 or 12 Cajuns came up, and they were upset about the whole situation. And the first one mouths off at Dennis, and Dennis says, F*** you, as we're trying to get our shit in the trunk. So the guy took an unopened beer can and chucked it at Dennis's head, and Dennis ducked it and took him down with a Fujiwara armbar and kicked him in the face. The 11 other guys are looking at each other like, we all want to do this, but we don't know which one wants to be first. And in that second, the Rock and Roll Express on the other side of the parking lot starts the car, hits the high beam, sits on the horn, and drives into the crowd. Scatters them. We jump in the car and take off. We had wow. photo finishes like crazy. And the cops sometimes were fans also, especially in Louisiana or even in Smoky Mountain. Jimmy Del Rey almost got hauled off to jail uh, for, for asking the cop why he didn't stop the guy from punching him. <laughs> And the cops' answer more or less was, you deserved it, you know. So uh, you couldn't rely on the security. So we had some hairy Because you you told me, and this this is a great segue, talking about Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You told me when we first talked on the phone, I think it was in Mexico at the time when we first spoke about coming in. Yeah. And and you said, people will cheer for you just because of the locker room you walk out of. And they'll yeah, just if you walk out the baby face. Because you would ask some kind of question like, what do you think the people, you know, I'm Canadian, will I get over there or whatever? I said, just come out the baby face side. Well, yeah, but you were saying when you come out the baby face side, people automatically cheer when you come out the heel side because people still, I remember you saying this yeah. is the last place that people still yeah. really believe in what's going on is in this southern area. Yeah, you know? well, and they, they also, they understood that was the way it had always been. You, you had a pattern to things. Um, baby faces came out one side, you cheered them. Heels came out the yeah, other side, you, you booed them. them. Right. Um, and the heels and the baby faces both worked matches to to engender that response instead of trying to get all their shit in mm-hmm. and said, "I'd never." Chris Candido, his first time he came down from New Jersey, and I've told this story a couple places before. But he throws the guy out on the floor, and we're at a high school gym, so it's a basketball floor with no pads. Right. He throws the guy out on the floor. He hits the ropes on the other side. He runs across the ring. He dives over the top rope, touching nothing, and he swantons the guy on the floor. And it, he hit the floor so hard, I felt it in my feet back in the locker room, right? And everybody went, oh, because it looked like it killed him. And then he throws the guy back in the ring and continues the match. And he, when he came back, I said, Chris, well, what, what were you doing? He said, well, I thought that. I said, he said, it didn't really get over. I said, no, it didn't. I said, because the people could not understand why the f*** you would do what you just right. did because it looked like it hurt you worse than it hurt the guy. And then you threw him back in when he ought to be dead and continued the match. And so they didn't really understand it because it didn't make any sense because mm-hmm. it wouldn't happen if it was yeah, yeah, sort it was of real, real thing, right? right? Sure. I said, try this. 
Your next match, because we were taping four shows that night, your next match on a taping, go out, let the baby face escape something that you did, and hit you with a body slam, a drop kick, a hip toss, and another drop kick all right in a row. Take a bump out on the floor, pout, kick the ring post, and pitch a temper tantrum. Oh, okay. And he had that baby face, yeah, right? Yeah, he did. So hip toss, drop kick, body slam, boom, out on the floor. He kicks the post. He folds his arms. He gets a pout. He starts, and the people were all <laughs> over him, and they're screaming, and they're yelling. And he come back. He said, well, that worked. I said, yeah. I said, and, and it didn't hurt as much as the other thing he did, <laughs> yeah. right? No. So, okay, do more of that right. and less of the first of thing. That, and yeah. that's how he learned. Mm-hmm. To work, because the Northeastern Independent fans were used to, oh, we got to do a bunch of big moves. Oh, absolutely. And the, the, as you... It was the, the same when we came in. You, you remember remember your, your post? The way you took the post? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I'd send you a, a highlight video. I call it the Sergeant Slaughter Bump. Because Sarge used to do that. Yes. You charge a guy in the corner, he moves, you sail over the top rope, hit your head on the post, and fall on the floor. But And you also, you did it one night, and I, my God... Maybe like Russellville, Kentucky, or whatever. It was a high school gym from 300 people, and you didn't you didn't describe it there like it should have been described. Well, describe it. You charge. You shoot the guy in the turnbuckle, and as he's there, you charge across the ring. And at the last minute, he moves, and you dove head first, and you flew over the turnbuckle, hit your head on the ring post, and dropped eight feet to the floor. <laughs> it's the goddamnedest bump I've ever seen in my life. And when you came back, if you remember, I said, Chris, that was the goddamnest bump I've ever seen in my life. Don't ever do it again until I tell you. Until I tell you, yeah. Until I tell you, because I want to say, okay, so then four months later, the Knoxville Civic Coliseum, I bring the heavenly bodies back from the WWE to the, the, the top heel team of all time in Smoky Mountain Wrestling to put the thrill seekers over the Coliseum. It's the Night of Legends, going to be sold out. I was there. 5,000 people there. Even Boland was there. I was there for that. And... I said, now's the time you're going to do that bump. That's the way you're going to get your juice in the match. And that's when you broke your arm and couldn't do it. I was it. getting ready to bring that up because so, I couldn't yeah, remember if famous, that was the show. Famous story. Now, now uh, I, I've, oh, I want to talk to you. I've never talked to you about your side of this story. So you built this match up with the Thrill Seekers and Heavenly Bodies. Yes. And they had gone to WWE and they were, like you said, all the stuff you just said are coming back. Now, I was also working in Japan at the time. So I'm learning like the promo style of the South, of Memphis style, Smoke Mountain yeah. style, which benefited me for the rest of my career. But work-wise, I'm still thinking, I got to do a moonsault, and I got to do a spin <laughs> kick, and I got to do this. And Ultimo Dragon had convinced me, I'll say, that I could do a shooting star press. So I've been practicing it all summer off diving boards. Because, as you know, a diving board, well, that's the same as a rope. Well, absolutely. There's no difference idiot. whatsoever. So I go into the ring at before the Night of the Legends, and I'm all by myself. And I'm like, I, I have to do this shooting star press. If I don't do the shooting star press, the match is going to suck. I'll never make it. Like, you start getting in your head like that. So I go up to the top post. I do a shooting star press. I land weird. I land kind of on my arm underneath me. And uh, Lance was watching, and he comes over and goes, are you okay? I said, I don't know. I held my arm out, and it was like bending like, oh, a, like a rubber pencil. And he's like, oh, my God. I said, do you think, it's, do you think there's something wrong with it? I have to go to the hospital. You think there's something <laughs> wrong with it. There's a broken arm. You have to stay overnight. And I said to the guy, uh, I can't stay overnight tonight. I can't get surgery because i gotta, I got to do this wrestling thing. I'm just going to sit in the front row. And uh, I'm just going to make an appearance and wave at the crowd. He goes, fine. Don't do anything physical. Be here at 7 a.m. in the morning for surgery. <sighs> So that's my side of the coin. Now, what did you hear? Well, as you recall, it was the biggest show we had ever run ever. in the history of ever. Yeah. 
And, and you said if we don't sell it out, I'll stand in the ring naked and sing back in black. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and I did not do any singing that <laughs> you night. Didn't, you right? didn't have to, right? So we were doing promos. We had the, the one of the locker rooms set up with the camera, and we're doing all the local promos for the next months of TV. Plus, we're doing promos for the videotape that we were shooting that night. We had the truck there and everything. It was a big production. Had the Legends ceremony, and all the Legends were, were there early. So I'm running around like a chicken with my head cut off, and as I'm, I'm shepherding the promos, you came up to me and said, hey, Jim, do you mind if I go in the ring and work out a few things? I said, no, I said, just don't get hurt. <laughs> that was my last it's, word. It's true. Don't get hurt. <laughs> and, I, and you walk off, and, and like a couple hours later, I come out of the promo room, and I'm rushing to somewhere else. I see Brian Hildebrand, Mark Curtis, coming up to me, and he said, um, Jericho will be back soon. I said, where'd he go? He, said, he went to the hospital. What he said, he thinks he broke his arm. I said, "Oh, very funny, Brian. Very funny, you know." No, and then I'm looking at his face, right? And I said, "What?" He said, "He just sent word he's going to come back and work." I what? Now I don't know whether you've really got a brain. Finally, when you get back, we determine yes, your arm is broken. I'm like, "What?" The, but I'm going to work. Oh Jesus Christ! Well, that bump over the top end of the pole to get your juices out. <laughs> So you, they they put some type of cast on the your soft arm, cast, the yeah. soft cast, and we also we had the race car there for the thrill seekers to make actually to make their their uh, uh, entrance. their entrance, but it was really it was the old misdirection play because the all the lights go out in the Civic Coliseum and there's five thousand people screaming and the spotlight is playing and the rev of the engine and here comes the the sports car in and everybody's looking at that and while everybody's looking at that including me and the heavenly bodies you guys come from the back door jump in the ring and start kicking ass right except you're a one-armed man in an ass kicking <laughs> contest and it was the best one-armed performance i'll tell you what that was tom dr tom and jimmy carried me through that thing well it, 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 it and then i felt so bad because it was it was your right arm right this one right there because you, you you got your color you see the scar right there oh jesus yeah. it's still there yeah you got your color with your left hand, yeah. which didn't help matters any because then it looked like you were going to bleed out right in front of our eyes. Well, and what happened too is that I, well, I think I was a little bit in shock from having a broken arm, yeah. and plus old school, I took some aspirin. Oh, so and because the, the cut was only a very very small, so this is not this is from a car crash. I had a little weak cut, and it was bleeding like it was Carrie Sissy Spacek yeah. is Carrie with the bucket of blood. Oh, you were head. unrecognizable. You're, you looked literally like a tomato thrown through a screen door. So it, it finally, the, the match is over with, and, and he said, okay, now he's going to the hospital tomorrow to have surgery. I'm like, my God, I just, I just put my top, new top babyface team over and lost him at the same time. So it was, the, was it the next night that was Johnson City? Yes. That was the best one-against-two performance ever because Lance Storm – had to go it alone, and we did the handicap match thing against the bodies until right, Tracy right, Smothers right, right. ran in. But Lance had the people convinced that single handedly he was going to beat the heavenly bodies because Tom and Jimmy they were they were so good they were so yes, good. Now was Chris there or no? Uh, no, he was no. in the hospital. I was, I, was, I, was, I was I vowed to be there, and then they were like, "You're not going anywhere" because yeah. I was like had some complications and I was delirious and I was all. <laughs> yeah. But all I was thinking was like, I gotta make the show. I gotta make the show. You know. And yeah, Jimmy, t- Jimmy was a real heck. He, he was night. he was delirious when he thought he was gonna make the show. But Terry <laughs> Funk was like uh, backstage because he was there. 
And he, uh, he goes, well, what would you do? I said, oh, I broke my arm. I was being a dumbass. He goes, I've been a dumbass for 30 years. <laughs> I don't forget that. <laughs> but I mean, that's I, I like what a stupid thing to do, right? Like, just like, why would I do that? Well, and you know what? The thing is, that match would have been so good oh. without the shooting star press. You I know, the shooting I know, star. but that's no. you're dealing with a, a green rookie that doesn't know any better. That's thinking <laughs> you have to, you must you must have been like thinking what a stupid idiot this guy is. I just I was I I, I admired your your devotion because I knew you were in there trying to do trying yeah, to work yeah, out yeah. new stuff that was going to make the match and blah blah right. blah. But it it wasn't was that place. Point, it wasn't when, yeah. the when place. When did you add the lion salt? Uh, I started doing that in Mexico City like in '93. Just yeah, I just wanted to do something a little different. But uh, and the funny thing is too, I used to get on my case because uh, all the 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 uh, well, a lot of the females that used to come around were not up to uh, oh, up geez. to my standards. <laughs> and that night in Knoxville, I had still did the signing after, and these two gorgeous like Daisy Duke country chicks showed up, and they wanted to go hang out at uh, Cotton Eye Joe's, which was the big bar in Knoxville, and I couldn't because I had to go to the surgery. And I was like, oh, even the girls are here, and I can't go. This sucks. Well, and here's the thing, and you guys – I'm sure we're thrilled when I first brought you down and said, I'd love to have you come in and you visited and everything. And we were talking money. He's given it to me to move from, from Calgary all the way to Knoxville, Tennessee was, you know, a daunting task. And you guys wanted to know that you had some security Yeah, and you were willing, if you, if I gave you more money, you were willing to give up your merchandise. Right. And okay. Because I knew what the rock and roll express were making. It kind of, and kind of what Tracy Smothers and the other baby faces, and I figure if they do half what the rock and roll's doing, I'll be paying them less than anybody here, and if they do more than that, they'll be working for me for free. <laughs> what I did not count on was the fact that you guys were, were young and from Canada where they didn't actually do this type of thing at the wrestling matches, <laughs> but also you didn't subscribe to Tracy Smothers' motto, of as far as women were concerned, eight to eighty blind, crippled, or crazy. If they can't walk, we'll drag them. So, <laughs> so the merchandise sales because the, the girls, if they're going to buy the pictures, they need a little. They wanted you know, the beefcake pictures, little, yeah, those, yeah. And, and a little personal attention. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. And plus, yeah. Lance was bringing his wife. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Must have drove you crazy right off the bat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Lance had his wife, and I had standards. <laughs> yes, that, that's exactly what I said one time. Is that Lance was married, and Jericho had standards. I but I mean, t- I'll tell you, like I learned so much in Smoking Man Wrestling, especially about the promos from watching you. And I used to watch when you guys were talking about the localized promos. I would watch you. I'd watch uh, Tony Anthony, uh, Dirty White Boy, Bullet Bob. Yeah. What a great performer that people probably don't realize. You remember one time we were doing a promo for something, Bob Armstrong was doing it, and they handed him the microphone and said, go, boom, and he, for two minutes, he just tore the house down, and then, clear, he just handed the microphone back and said, that's how you do it, son, walked off. I was just going to bring that up, because that's as good as it gets, that's how you do it, yeah. son. I remember that. Yeah, but you would learn that, because the, 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 I always say the Southern style, which I think Smoky Mountain Wrestling was the Southern yes, style, definitely. was so based around promo, promos, but nothing... The, the basic concept of what a promo is, is it was was what you guys did. 
It was just, yeah. you know, I literally learned like, you know, put over the, the, the opponent. Don't ever cut somebody down because if they beat you, uh, you, you yeah. lost to a loser. You know what I mean? Like it was but just tell me a little bit about the, about the promo style down there and your style of promo. Well, and basically Jerry Jarrett actually had a big sign in his office that he had up on the wall that said personal issues draw money. Mm. And the thing about it is it, it I always try to say wrestling is preposterous. In, on the face of it, but you have to make the preposterous posterous somehow. You have to make the ridiculous seem <laughs> not so. Right. And and so if you can do that, if you can look at the camera or look at the person you're talking to, and you can sound sincere and legitimately mean what you're saying, and come up with some logical reason, whether it be jealousy over a belt or a woman or money or whatever, the personal issues, and make people believe it. And they might say, well, those guys in the opening match, I mean, they're just doing what they're told. But, uh, boy, I'll tell you what, that Dick Murdoch, he was pissed at Ted DiBiase or whatever the case may right. be. And, I, you know, I've over the past 10, 15 years when I've done a lot of these wrestling seminars, you'll have guys come in for a wrestling camp. And part of the thing you do is, can you talk? Cut me a promo. And they'll have come up with, I am... Zircon from the planet Zambodia, and I have traveled here through the galaxy. No, you haven't. No, you f***ing haven't. <laughs> you probably have not come but from the next f***ing county, right? Yeah, and yeah. I, and that's, I do not believe it. But it was classic Memphis television, and most of the southern territories, the, the TV shows were live. You didn't get a second chance at it. You went out there in that studio or wherever, and you cut a promo explaining why you were mad at the guy you were mad at, what you were going to do about it, and why the people should either support you if you were a babyface or why you didn't care what they thought if you were a heel, and make them believe it. As Terry Funk said, Johnny Valentine said, I can't make people believe wrestling is real, but I can make them believe I'm real. Mm. And, you know, that was just the way that we were all brought up and that we were all taught, and it wasn't about entertaining people as the goal it was about making people believe that you were who you purported yourself to be and you were in the situation you purported yourself to be in and let them be entertained by watching the resolution of that and that was exactly why jimmy and i loved memphis wrestling so much because there were inner beefs with Lawler and Dundee, with Lawler and Mantell, which Mantell's told me about. Yeah. Uh, Lawler and Valiant, because Valiant never, ever had a car. Uh, <laughs> had to be taken, and they would work that stuff into the promos, into the storylines. Those and the threads of reality. Pick up yeah. on yeah. some of this. And as long as that 10% is true, then the other 90s percent's got yeah. to be. Yeah, 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 yeah. If, 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 if right. Jerry Jarrett would say, we told the truth about A and B and C, so now we're going to work them on D and E. But the people say, well, if A is true, B is true, and C is true. Great point. Must yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's, you blur the lines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I don't understand why that guys these days don't understand that it makes their job so much easier to get a reaction then when they come out and, and, you know, when a guy, if a guy is injured these days, the guy that hurt him, he's not going to take credit for it. He's not going to crow about it. He's not going to brag about it. He's going to go on Twitter and go, gosh, I sure am sorry. It was a complete accident. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> Bill, I'm so sorry you're in the hospital. Whereas I would have been out there going, see, if he dies, he dies. Right. He's around with the wrong person. And when did it start that heels were not scared anymore? They're not scared of their opponent. Remember, Lawler cowered down to everybody. He was oh, well, yeah, it, that's, well, it, that's true. It's, it, Going back to Bobby Heenan. Bobby Heenan in his wrestling days. But, I mean, who put, Bobby Heenan everybody. was a better wrestler than anybody ever managed, except Bob Winkle and Stevens. But 
when did the heel stop putting on the brakes and, and begging and pleading, no, God, no, please don't hurt away. me. When the baby face finally gets a chance to get even in a fair fight, the heel is going to be at a disadvantage uh, uh, against the baby face. That's why he has to cheat. It's, just, it's, it's basic Shakespearean. Dutch Mantel <laughs> used to say, human emotions do not change. Heels lie and cheat and steal and brag about how great they are when they didn't really earn it. And baby faces want to do things the right way and you got to push them but finally when you push them hard enough they've had all they can stand they can't stand anymore and they But see know. but that still exists though it's just that I find because there's there's no territories to hone those skills like I, I can only yeah. use myself as an example I had the the benefit of working for you had the benefit of working for for Heyman had the benefit for working in Japan and Mexico and all these different places to learn you know not that you're going to do a lot of lucha libre stuff here but there are I learned stuff yeah. from Negro Casas that I oh, still God, use yeah. today a lot of guys now don't have it. They go to NXT and then they go straight from NXT to WWE in a lot of cases. So you don't get that overall experience of how to do this because it still does work if you know how to do it. And you got to be in front of in front of people. Yes, you don't necessarily have to be. It's probably better if you're not in front of huge crowds, right. but in front of people. And that's what we try to do with OVW. But I always felt like it should, instead of a wrestling school, it should be run like a territory because you have to teach guys. Not only what they're doing, but how the whole thing works around them. There are guys that are underneath guys, preliminary guys, opening match guys. There are guys that are middle card guys that win some and lose some. They beat the opening match guys, and then they lose the top guys. And there's some guys that have to be the stars and carry the the belt and carry the the promotion and and the, 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 the ticket sales on their back and their performance. And everybody needs to know how to work those particular spots. Because if you went to one territory, in Kansas City, you might be a main event guy. But Bulldog Bob Brown might be in a main event at Memorial Hall. And he might be in a first <laughs> match at Tequila Auditorium in St. Louis because right. it was a different, yeah, different, different lineup. World, yeah. So you have to know how those are put together. And that's how I learned in Mid-South, watching not only the cards, but the way that Watts did the interviews, how the tape was bicycled. So I watched everybody else's spot, too. Okay, I see what he's doing here, wrestling, too has been here for a year, year and a half, and he's a huge name and has a lot of uh, uh, cachet with the fans, but he's about to retire, so we're going to switch him heel. So we hope to get Magnum TA over with that, and then two's going to retire. Right, right, right. And just the way that the pieces were put together, you can't just – people always say if you had to pick the 30 top wrestlers in the world to populate your fictitious territory, who would you pick? I said, well, for one thing, I wouldn't pick the 30 top wrestlers in the world. Because then, where the f*** am I going to go? I'm starting from scratch with the 30 best guys in the business? <laughs> yeah. Well, f- it's going to be six months before half the people know I'm here. Well, then those guys are the, – the guys that you start with are really literally to get most of them, half of them at least, are to get the other guys over, over. so you can then bring other guys in right. to f- and work with the guys that those guys got over. So you never – with an unlimited amount of money, you never want to start with your – 30 best guys because then you got nowhere to, to build go something and if you're running a wrestling school you're trying to teach everybody how to be a main event guy all at the same time it's like having 12 seven foot guys you don't have any giants you need to teach everybody this is the way pecking orders work and this is the way when you switch a guy from baby face to heel it impacts these other people and then you cycle this guy out because you know you got this guy coming in so you want to get this guy ready for the new baby face you're coming in so you can sacrifice your original baby face at the altar because he wasn't the guy you wanted to hang your hat on Mm -hmm. anyway this shit's complicated but once you get it 
it's easier than just trying to teach everybody, to, okay, go out and be a mean <laughs> bit guy. We got 50 of you. What, was that one of the mindsets when you started Smoky Mountain? Like, what made you want to try and start your own wrestling company? Um, well, just because nobody else was doing it mm. at that point. Um, I was pissed off in WCW because it was we had such a great talent roster, and, and Crockett had established a great tradition that all we needed was Turner's money to expand on, but we got Turner's people he hired to run the company, too, and it was, it was miserable. Yeah. And I didn't like the cartoon wrestling, and Memphis was the only territory left. And I noticed, long story short, too late, when we would go to Knoxville, WCW would still draw. And WCW wasn't drawn anywhere. <laughs> but they would draw in Knoxville because they liked wrestling. Of course, they no-showed it to death and kill that, too. And I <laughs> used to play a game with, in the car with the Midnight Express. I would read the Road Atlas. And I'd think, okay, this town, this town. I would see old territories, the way they were laid out. And I saw, well, Knoxville's not far from the Tri-Cities, not far from the old Crockett Territory, Asheville, North Carolina. If we could get TV, which was the big if, things were changing then, that could be a hell of a territory and it wouldn't be expensive because these are mid-sized and smaller-sized markets. So it wouldn't be, and, and Sandy Scott knew the managers of these buildings and arenas, and it could, it might work, right? You know, Gene Wilder, Young Frankenstein. <laughs> Of course, the, what the downfall was that, that they had just deregulated television and the infomercials had come in. So the same stations that were taking wrestling programs for barter in 87 and 88 because of the high ratings, by 92, they were like, give me two grand or I'll sell it to deal a meal. <laughs> so that was a big problem. <laughs> but that's why I wanted to start things because there was a bunch of guys that were great territory talents that the big companies didn't want to use, and I didn't want to work for the big companies. I always thought wrestling should be regional. It should be territory. That's the way it works. What plays in Florida never played in Minneapolis or California. It was different styles. Mm. And the promoters and bookers that had those territories, if you notice, they always conditioned and educated their fans to the style of wrestling that they either performed when they were on top and made events or whether they're it was what they were more comfortable with mm-hmm. so you had eddie graham in florida who who believed in good wrestling but the wild stuff on top or you had bill watts who wanted the ex-jocks and the football players and the tough guys or you had jerry jared in memphis and and the, the tennessee territory that wanted smaller guys for weekly towns with more action and a lot of blood and wild personal issues mm. But in, in the AWA, Vern Gagne was the biggest star in wrestling and when he was on network TV in 1952, and he thought you should do one angle a year. And, and you know, the same guys were on top in 1983. It was on top in <laughs> 1953. But it worked because they didn't see any other wrestling. All the territories had their own flavor, their own style, and their own talent that they would use and bring back in. And, and if you'd put, even when wrestling was big everywhere, if you'd have put the AWA show on TV in Florida or the Florida show on TV in Texas or whatever, people would have gone, what the, f- mm-hmm. where's our wrestling? But you know what? Even back then, uh, it seemed like we always liked our wrestling a lot better than everyone else's. The only other wrestling I really liked, maybe on an equal level, but yet it was so much different, was Dick the Bruiser and the shows that were Indianapolis and Chicago. Well, and that's because those guys were big names, and you got to see main events on TV mm-hmm. because they shot at the, at the Expo Center. Remember, you'd see Bob Ellis, for Cowboy Bob Ellis versus Baron Von Raschke or Dick the Bruiser versus Ernie Lack. Legion- of course, they'd go Le- off the air before you got the finish. You, know? you never <laughs> yeah. got the finish. It'd be yeah. the Legionnaires and the Valiants. And, yeah, that was old next school. Week. It showed just but that bits was, of it on TV. Yeah, yeah. and, 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 and it, was, it was a completely different than a studio wrestling show. But the point is, everything was different. 
But there were things you could like. I was never a fan of WWWF stuff. Even when I, for when we first got cable down here, remember we went over to Weasel yes. Dooley's house yes. to watch the Madison Square Garden show on MSG I Network. Weasel Dooley. Weasel Dooley. There's the name. Norman the, Weasel Dooley. Norman Weasel Dooley, the man that invented the star rating system for matches. I'll really? tell you that story in a second. Oh, please, yeah. But the first time I saw a Madison Square Garden show on, that, on cable in 1980. Yeah. We said we were so happy and excited because we'd read the magazines and, yeah. and the wrestler and inside wrestling and Madison Square Garden. That's where the action is. And when it was over with, we looked at each other and I said, was my God, bored out of my every mind. every weekly Tuesday night show at the Louisville Gardens was a better wrestling show than what we saw at Madison Square Garden because they had to have action because they had to drop. They're right, running New right, York right, once right. a month and it's 10 million people versus Louisville. There's 500,000 people and they're running 52 times a yeah, year. It was so a three hour show yeah. and there was 10 minutes worth of stuff that we thought was worth watching. Mm-hmm. Now, I guess it New was, York felt differently. And I mean, and occasionally there'd be something like, you know, Patterson slaughter in the alley fight match or whatever, but it didn't, it yeah, just didn't translate to here. Yeah, it sure, didn't sure. translate. But yeah. people there, uh, as yeah. interactions started to happen, people would see our stuff. And just couldn't fathom how we were entertained by that as opposed yeah, to what because, you said it Because they'd look at the TV studio and they'd go, well, there's only 100 people yeah, there. Yeah, it's yeah, like, no, nobody. but idiot. There's 10,000 <laughs> yeah, people at the Coliseum, watching, but it's not watching. on TV. But I'll tell you this also. The differences, we, we couldn't stomach the, the Madison Square Garden show, right? But Georgia Championship Wrestling. Mm-hmm. We'd make the 50-mile round trip before we got cable in Louisville over to Indiana to see that because there's the Freebirds and Ted DiBiase and a blah, blah, blah. Southern wrestling just had more oomph to it for us. Well, but w- w- Weasel Dooley. Weasel Dooley. So he, he's doing – we, we nicknamed him Weasel because his name was Norman. And he had a, a striking resemblance to a combination of a ferret and John Denver. Yeah. <laughs> he had, he looked more like John Denver than the ferret. But he, I've never but heard he had say the, that, but that's very close. Yeah, he had the hair <laughs> and the thick glasses and kind of a weaselly face. Right. We, we nicknamed him Weasel Dooley. So – he was doing a newsletter where he would send. That's the way we did it before the internet. If you had pen pals in other territories, they would send you the wrestling programs. And this was even before videotapes. They'd send you the program in the mail. They'd write down the matches and the results and everything. Matt Watch. Matt Watch. Yeah. And, and you would do the same for them. So Weasel started Weasel's World of Wrestling, where he'd give the results for Louisville. And he used to go to the Keel in St. Louis all the time. And he would start making his personal comments, right, about the matches. This was good or that was good or, you know, he didn't like Sonny King or whatever. And so I'm sitting there talking to him on the phone one night, and I'm reading the TV guide. Back when that was a thing, because we only had three channels here in Louisville, four. And I said, Weasel, I said, as much detail as you're going into these matches, you ought to just rate them with the stars like they do the movies in TV guide. And he said, I like that. I'm going to do it. And he started doing it. And one of the people that he was sending his newsletter to was Dave Meltzer. <laughs> and there you have you it. Know. So it's my fault. I'm <laughs> wow. sorry. Indirectly. Indirectly. You started the... the uh, it was a rib. <laughs> I didn't mean for anybody to take it personal. Or, but let, let, we're talking about Smoky Mountain and why you wanted to start it. Now, there was always... I think now we can talk about this. But at the time, there was always these rumors of the uh, the unknown backer. Yeah. The unknown backer of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Who I found out because I went... Went to a concert, a Metallica show with Chip, Chet, Col- no, Cat, Cat Collins. Collins, Cat Collins, Cat Collins to a Metallica gig, and Danzig was there, and Danzig told me yeah. that Rick Rubin 
was the unknown uh, money behind Smoky yeah. Mountain. And I was like, what? Yeah. So please explain this. Well, there, there was a good – when we did an angle with a, a suitcase full of money early in the, in the run of Smoky Mountain, it was like on the 15th or 16th yeah. show. We had the president of the, of the bank in Morristown. He was wearing a suit. He came with the, the money, right? And all the boys thought that was the money man. So they were, it was Buzz Lacey from the Third National Bank or whatever in Morristown. But they're like, yes, sir. Is there anything you need, sir? Would you like a drink, sir? Yes, sir. You can just see. Um, Cat Collins, I had known since he was on the radio in Columbus, Georgia. When I first went to work for Crockett, we did a radio remote on the roof of a furniture store. And he was an afternoon DJ, and I was managing that night. We got to be friends. And we stayed in touch, and then he moved to Charlotte. Uh, and was on the radio there for quite a while, so we used to get together. And he had actually roomed with, like, Don Kernodal and Nikita Koloff when he had been in the Carolinas previously. So he knew a little bit about wrestling. He had worked some in Continental doing some interviews. So anyway, when he was working in radio, he actually met Rick Rubin, who at that time was starting to break the Black Crows and some other things. Yeah. And long story short, too late... He gets a job working for Ruben's record company back when they only had like five or six employees in the whole thing. Deaf, deaf American. Uh, it was deaf American originally, yeah. and then and then that's when when uh, Russell Simmons and Ruben split. Uh, Simmons took the deaf, and Ruben took the American. American, yeah. <laughs> um, so you know he was Cat was a road guy, and he'd go out on the road with the Black Crows. I got to go to uh, a couple of Black Crows concerts they did with ZZ Top, nice. where we got to go to the after party at at, at uh, Rendezvous in Memphis, and they it's when they brought out the really the good food <laughs> and shit like that. But he told me he said the Cat said on the phone one day said Rick Rubin is coming to Atlanta and he wants to meet you, and of course I said because I was not a hip hop fan <laughs> even then who is Rick Rubin. And he told me the story of how he'd worked with, uh, you know, Run DMC and blah, 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 and the whole nine yards. So I said, yeah, he said he wants to meet two people, you and Flair, and we're coming to the Omni. Okay, well, we'll be there, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, he introduced us to Rick. Flair, you know, didn't know who he was either. <laughs> and and we were nice to him, but I've spent some more time talking to him just because he was, a you know, intelligent, articulate guy. And we exchanged phone numbers. And every once in a while, this was this had to be 1989, and I was with WCW through the end of 90. But as it got on, we were more and more frustrated, and Jim Hurd was driving us all crazy. And I was looking at that Atlas in the back of the car, and I was there in Knoxville, and I said, hey, it could work. And I asked Rick one time, I said, Rick, because he was as miserable as I was. He hated cartoon wrestling. He liked old-fashioned, blood-and-guts, realistic wrestling rather rather than the you know where, where did he grow up do you know um well he's from new york okay gotcha but, but but see at the same time remember what they had done up there they had gone to you know dancing midgets and all the really right, in sure. the early 90s it was the really kids yeah, clown show yeah. stuff and everything so i said w- would you be interested in being involved in something he said yes let me know whenever if you get because i knew we were going to get free of wcw I just didn't know we were going to walk out. I thought we were going to wait till our contract was up, but the opportune time came. So I spent about a year going back and forth out there to visit him and, and you know, planning what to do. At that. But that's how it came. If, if Cat Collins, if I hadn't been on the roof of that furniture yeah. store in 1985 in Columbus, Georgia, and met Cat Collins, there would have never been a Smoky Mountain. But did Rick not want anybody to know that he was involved? Well, I, he never said specifically, but Sandy Scott and I decided early on, this is the wrestling business, and this guy has a lot of money. And even though he's very intelligent, you know what happens when people in wrestling find out that there's somebody with a lot of money that's interested in wrestling. Yes. 
And, you know, I mean, we've seen people with inheritances, family inheritances. The boys will hook them up and drain them of their blood, and they'll yeah. be upside down like a deer carcass. <laughs> and I didn't think that, you know, but we, so we just said, why, why is it anybody's business? So was it like a one-time lump sum, or would you have to go for him for? Oh no, it was monthly. Oh, okay, See, that's the thing. I think he was doing it as a hobby because yeah. you know. And the thing is, he was on Reuben time, so he'd call you at three o'clock in the morning. And plus, he's on California time, yeah, yeah, yeah. but he's on Reuben time. Yeah. So I would have to sit by my phone <laughs> when I needed to talk to him between the hours of midnight and six a.m. Eastern time. So I slept on the couch for four years practically instead <laughs> of going to bed. But he would call me, and the latest tape would be playing in the background where, you know, the Fantastics are whacking the heavenly bodies overhead with two befores in the middle of the ring, and the people are screaming and everything. This is great. It's perfect. You know, blah, blah, blah. So, so it was basically, you know, he said we needed to start out, much like Ole said when we came down there in 1983, he said, okay, it's as bad as it can be. It can't get any worse. <laughs> so when we started, if we could continue to expand and move along and spend less money at the same time – month to month or basically year to year and we did that and actually it's almost embarrassing now but it got down to by the end of four years it was like the difference of 10 12 15 grand a month as to whether we'd actually be making a profit or you know looking around for green stamps which now they spend that on catering you know it, <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, for yeah. two hours at, at the raw taping right but back then it was you know it was money but and you had it rolling for for a few years it, it, you know it, it it started slow and then in 93 and 94 we, we did better especially with the spot shows the rock and roll express were big for the spot mm -hmm. shows and those small towns hayside virginia and cumberland kentucky to see the rock and roll express in person and Knoxville took a while, but then gradually they would come for the big shows. And, and the, unfortunately, and a lot of people said, well, he, he started bringing WWF talent in, and that, then they stopped, and they'd only come for the WWF talent. No, they'd only come for, they didn't want to come every month in those numbers. They'd come for the big shows, whether it be the Night of Legends or Sunday right. Bloody Sunday or the Super Bowl of Champions. Sometimes they'd come if there were no WWF stars on the card, but if we had promoted the thing well and had a really strong lineup. But at the same time, whereas in 1992, WCW was running the Omni, drawing 1,100 people. Our first show in the Knoxville Civic Coliseum drew pretty much about 1,100 yeah, people. Yeah. So it was, the bar was so low. Uh, but, you know, we got things going. I mean, and then, uh, like, uh, for example, at the Night of Legends or that Sunday Bloody Sunday show where we did in Knoxville, I think you guys, that's the one you came down and visited on. Well, I, yeah, I almost think, I, mean, I think you did that on purpose, brought us down there to show us what it was like. And I was like, oh, my God, this well, place is packed. And, and I was surprised when Sandy Scott came in because back then your, your advance at 5 o'clock the day of show, your house would be about three times your advance. Okay. So if if we had five grand in at five o'clock, we knew it'd be, we'd do about fifteen. Well, that's this, a huge walk up. Are you kidding? Spot shows, and especially in the South, used to be ten to one. Wow. If you had if you had a hundred tickets sold for a spot show at a high school gym, you were counting on maybe eight hundred to. And now it's people. the other way around. Now it's the other yeah, way around. Yeah, yeah. 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 But but no, it, Knoxville was was three times, give or take, three times. So that was the afternoon show because it was Sunday, and we hadn't been there since Christmas night. So it was six weeks in between shows, and I'd loaded it up. We had Terry Funk in, and I'd loaded some, some stipulation matches. And uh, Sandy Scott walks in. It's a 3 o'clock bell time. He walks in at noon. I said, Sandy, what's our advance? He looked at me. He said, $9,500. 
And I instantly went, look, right now, goosebumps. <laughs> I'm like, we're going to do 30 grand on Sunday afternoon? He said, yeah, and we did 33. Wow. And I was like, oh, my God, it worked. You know, it, it was a U2. Yeah, yeah, we, yeah. We, 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 we credited U2. The, <laughs> yeah. the song was everything on the commercial. <laughs> what song did you use? Sunday, Sunday Bloody Bloody Sunday. Sunday. Gotcha. No, we've, where the streets have no name. We thought we'd screw with them a little bit. I got lost there because of your southern accent. We credited you two as if you, like you're making a joke. You credited me. You two. No, I meant you two. It's, it's you two. You two. Not yes. you two. The, 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 the one with Bono or <laughs> yeah. Bo, Sonny Bono. Sonny, Sonny Bono and Adam Copeland's band. Yeah. That's the one. I know him so, better than anybody, and I thought he did the same thing. I remember, I remember that was the first time I ever saw Terry Funk do a moonsault. That's like, the first time Terry oh Funk ever did, ever a, did moonsault. a moonsault. I was like, you got to be kidding me. He did a damn weird-ass moonsault. And well, I was like, this him, place is awesome. What did a Texas death match? Yeah. Right, yeah him and Bob, Bob Armstrong. Yeah. Because he threw all the chairs in the ring, mm-hmm. piled up a pile of chairs, and then he slammed Bob on the on the pile of chairs, and then he starts going to the top rope. And I'm like, what the fuck? And I've known Terry for a long time. <laughs> yeah. He's never done a moonsault, right? So he does the moonsault, and Bob moves, and Terry crashes in the pile of chairs, and I leaned in the ring, and I said, Terry, are you all right? He said, I think so, Corny. I said, what the f*** are you doing? He said, I don't know, Corny. <laughs> but that was the first time he'd ever... <laughs> he just thought he'd give it a try. He thought he'd try it, yeah. <laughs> the, the, another thing I learned uh, from being here and traveling and all stuff was, was uh, some of the road games, and one of them <laughs> is the, uh, the, the wrestling game. Yes. Yeah. Which is where, explain what the wrestling game is. Well, it, it, in, in its classic form, you have to name a wrestler. For example, Chris Jericho. Mm-hmm. And then the next person has to name another wrestler with the letter starting with your first letter of your last name. Yeah. So Chris Jericho would then become Jerry Lawler. Jerry then would become Lex Luger. Lex Luger. And then and you'd get Zabisco. an L back. And, and, and Mr. X was always the one everybody go, mother. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only yeah. Thank goodness now there's Xavier Woods. So yeah, well, there's a new yeah. One. And 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 then you and you couldn't repeat. Right. So once you got the the two or three, but you were always the, the best at it. Well, I tried because I would bring out the obscure. You know. So what, what X's would you use? Um. My God. Uh. At. At the t- shit, that's been a long time ago. That's been twenty years ago. You gave me Xavier Woods. Years. Yeah. You gave me Xavier Woods. I can't remember now. God damn it, he stumped me. <laughs> the best ones we were playing one time, and I got Z, and we'd been through a bunch of Zs, and I said, uh, Zap the Glaxon. You went, there ain't no Zap the Glaxon. I said, no, he's a Calgary guy from Stampede <laughs> Wrestling. There's a Zap the Glaxon. I was able to squeak it through because there was no Google back then. Yes. So I was able to get an extra round at a Zap the Glaxon. Google, I, Google ruined Z, me, I do too. remember my Z was Zan Panzer. Okay, that's a good one. Because that, that was actually uh, Gene Anderson's son under a hood. Okay. Uh, that, Zag you know, Panzer. Z- Zan Panzer. <laughs> Zan Panzer. And Dust, Dusty came up with that because <laughs> Dusty loved. Yeah. So you would the, go. Go ahead, Ken. I wanted to know uh, how long you had been with Jimmy, uh, the famous. Uh, well, that's what I was. I was just oh, leading that myself. Like, oh, this this is great. So back then, as you mentioned, there was a lot of tape trading. People would send like would send tapes back and forth. And there yeah. was these two weirdos from Southern California. Was it Ron Head? And, Ron Head and J.R. Benson. Yep. So I don't know how you knew them, whatever they were like at the time, probably the weirdest guys had met, especially Ron yeah. Head. He was a weird dude. Still he was. lives here now. He's lived, he? he's lived here for like the last 12 years. He came, moved out here and was uh, ring announcing for OVW for okay. ages. He's still there. And uh, he's, he's worked at Costco for like 20 years. He just transferred out. So here. we were, meet these guys and they're super funny and weird, and then, but they're good guys. So we're in a van and we're all traveling together. And it's me and you and uh, JR and Ron. I think Lance is in there and uh, Jimmy Delray is driving. 
and we're driving. You probably Brian, Brian Hildebrand was in there Brian also, in and too. I think maybe even Killer Kyle too. Damn. He's probably going back to Morristown. That's that's yeah, that's loads. <laughs> well, and 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 what? And here's the thing: you guys had had not been down here long, so right. since you were baby faces, the rest of the the van was heels. We said, all right, we'll give you a ride, but you got to sit in the back. Right, in the very back. And see, a lot of this is going to center on you. Okay. And, and, and responsibility <laughs> way over And I take full responsibility. Be- because we, for one thing, the reason why we couldn't go in the establishment was because we had baby faces in advance. We had to keep you guys in the back where nobody would see yes. you, et cetera, and et real kayfabe at the time, yes, for sure. Yes. And now, I, at this point, had seen you lose your temper a few times. For It's like a switch. Like, uh, I can get the referees outside. What do you mean it's outside? Get him back in right now. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, wow. So, and, and being. He went to take a piss. What do you mean he went to take why? a piss? God, God damn it. Why didn't he think of that before? We got to do this show. Yeah. So being uh, from Calgary and being me, so you can say, oh, Jimmy, he's, he, you can wind him up once in a while. And we're friends now, but you're you're our boss, but still our friend. But, you know, well, yeah, but there's it, a know, certain yeah. amount of respect to be shown. But it's also kind of fun to see you lose your mind as long as it wasn't on me. <laughs> I Which you did lose your mind when I came back to the. That. I knew he instigated. When I came back to the uh, Knoxville Coliseum with a broken arm, you cut a nice promo. You stupid motherfucker! What the fuck do you think you're doing? I'm still gonna wrestle. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anyways, so uh, we're we're in this van and we're driving through, and uh, it's, it's a famous tape that's been traded around, and it's now online. Oh, yeah. uh, and you yes. even call your podcast Cornet's Drive Through. Yes, as a matter of fact, the drive through. If I the the Jim Cornette experience that's Thursdays right and the Jim Cornette's drive through is Mondays twice a week you twice can hear week, my Jim words Cornette, of wisdom right. but at any rate go to jimcornette.com for all the information yes we we were in Hyden Kentucky that night the house was eighteen hundred and ninety four dollars <laughs> wow which was we took a bath on that uh, and and how, once again people are going oh Jesus Christ we actually spot shows if they did twenty five hundred dollars we used to be able to make money so how would you take a bath on that you go um, rental <laughs> Well, yeah, by the, the by the time I paid you guys, and see, there was there was no rental. It was a twenty five uh, percent to the sponsor group. Gotcha. On those old spot shows, you'd give the local group twenty five percent of the gate, and they would do the local publicity, oh. and they'd provide the gym, and they'd sell the advance tickets, okay, and they'd put up the posters and everything. So we had to pay for ring rental wrestlers. And we, we paid for the posters, and if it was a six, successful show, we got the poster money back from the sponsors. Okay. But anyway, the point is, we lost about a grand that night. Yeah. And we're in Hyden, Kentucky, did I mention, which is, <laughs> you know, it's not the end of the world, but you can see it from there. I don't even know. <laughs> when, you go, when you go to Hyden, you can tell when you get in the city limits because you look in the backyards, there's toilet paper hanging on the line to dry. <laughs> uh, they had bad weather last year. A tornado went through Hyden, did $3 million worth of improvements. But anyway... <laughs> So we're in Hyden, Kentucky at the aptly named Richard M. Nixon Center that night. And the sponsors <laughs> claimed, yeah, the sponsors oh, no. claimed, oh, we've done a great job. And nobody showed up. It was what? The tickets were six and eight bucks yeah. then. So we had 200 people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so there's one place to eat in Hyden, Kentucky after 10 o'clock at night. We've got to drive back to Knoxville through eastern Kentucky. It's going to be about four hours in the van. We're going to go to Dairy Queen. We get in the line at Dairy Queen. We ordered the food. Now, besides the fact there's eight hungry wrestlers in, in the van, I've mentioned this a number of times. You had to customize your order because you're trying to eat healthy. I, they, ordered, I ordered a banana. The, well, you got the banana split with no ice cream, just fruit. Yeah, I just wanted the banana yeah. and the fruit, yeah. Yeah, just the, it's whatever. The case may be, it was like a $60, $70 order. And we sit in a line for 25 minutes because, after all, that's the only place to get food in that town at that time of night. And finally, when we get up to the window, this is where some things came into play. 
I didn't realize that you were in the back reenacting spinal tap. <laughs> Because when the window opens, I'm in the passenger seat. I think I, Hildebrand may have been driving. Del, Del Rey was behind me. Anyway, the woman uh, takes the money, and I said, she said, I'll, we'll have that for you in a few minutes. Now, we've been in the line 20 minutes since we ordered. So I innocently, I innocently, yes. and not confrontationally, That's true. That is said, true. we thought you all would have that ready as long as we've been in the line. Oh, well, we'll start fixing it in a second. What do you mean? Start fixing it. We wasn't sure you wanted it. Like, that's the biggest order they've gotten that month. And there's been a, a band of people going around pulling ribs where they order food they don't want and then sitting in the line for 20 minutes to see the look on the people's faces when they say, we don't want it after all. What the f***? So I said, if we didn't want the damn shit, we wouldn't have ordered it. At the same time, you in the back say, "Yeah, what is this? The comedy bus?" You know, and then and you, I realize it's part of the comedy show. Yeah, and that accent also that you have, you know, because we speak normally down here in Kentucky. But yeah, right. So she said, "Sir, you cuss me, you won't get a damn thing," and slams the window. That did not sit well with me at that particular moment, and the switch the flipped, and I went around, and when I when I thrust the drive-through window open. First thing I see is Candido and Tammy inside at the counter. They've, they've, they're trying to order, and they, they look, oh, shit. And I cussed a woman out and told and, them what I thought like of her. kind of trying to get into the window at some point, too. I, 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 I may have you been, pulled well, the window open. You're kind of like, I want my food. There, there's, no, there's no way to step up there. But I was like, oh, my gosh. And, and, then, and then people tried to warn me that we shouldn't eat it. And I said, look, well, it's Dairy was, Queen. If they spit in it, it'll taste better. That was what I was thinking is who had the guts to eat that food. I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. We were hungry. Yeah. And I then mean, that tape, JR and Ron took that tape and started trading it. It became this underground sensation. Oh, yeah. oh my God. In, in 1998, when I was in, in the WWE and in Kansas City or wherever, the, the whole third row while I'm at ringside would be chanting, Dairy Queen, Dairy Queen. <laughs> If I had it, it, the, the rights, would be worth Star Wars money now. If I had the <laughs> yeah, rights to right, that right. video, as, as we as we wind down, I just want to ask a couple of questions. What was your original concept for the Thrill Seekers when you brought Lance and I in? Like, where did you get the idea from? And well, I, actually, and I've I've told this story on my podcast recently. I stole the name the Thrill Seekers from a fan club bulletin that a guy named Barry Rose in Florida did back in the seventies. He had a fan club for listen to this trilogy: Rocky Johnson, Tommy Siegler, and Billy Robinson. And he he doesn't he can't even explain Almost it now. He was a, he was a teenage guys, kid, yeah. but his his bulletin was called the Thrill Seekers, and I was that'd be a cool name. And when I saw Lance had sent the video to me of him wrestling you, right? And and I'd had it for six months because I never look just when you look at that shit, you never get anything course, right. Yeah. So one night I actually I said I got to get this stuff out. I'll I'll stick everything in for a minute, just say I did, and then I'll throw everything away. And I was stunned because you don't get tapes of guys who you've never heard of right at that point that were that good mm -hmm. and and athletically doing all that shit and everything so i, I finally got a hold of lance and i said hey the the guy you were working with would he want to come too because i because <laughs> i had i had in mind a, a new baby face team because i knew the rock and roll i had two problems one that the rock and roll sooner or later I'm not going to say the people would not care, but the, they would be, yeah, they'd be stale, right? Because it, who would I possibly replace the Rock and Roll Express with as far as a babyface tag team? There wasn't any, mm -hmm. 
And I thought if I got, and also the rock and roll were in no need of being replaced at that point, but I was thinking a year or more down the road because, as I've just mentioned, it, you can't just instantly go, okay, yeah. everybody's over. I figured if I started you guys in the spring of 94, that maybe by the summer of 95, you know, in, in case WCW signed the rock and roll again, or just that way we've got the Rock and Roll Express and the Thrill Seekers. Mm-hmm. Imagine that. Mm-hmm. What an all-star lineup. But I had to try to plan ahead. And there was no other babyface teams to be had. And I thought, you guys are different. You're new. You haven't been on the big company's television. So, you know, and, and everybody can learn because the promos were a sticking point. <laughs> I would have never – I wouldn't give a cripple crab a crutch for your chances at being the promo that you've become, just so you know. When I heard the first one, I wouldn't give a cripple crab a crutch. But – but anyway, what, what was the question? I, I was just saying, oh, the, what was, you gave it to me. I, yeah. just, I just thought, especially, uh, you know, a younger, good-looking pussy magnets. Can we say that yeah, on, sure. on this network? Where's the blowjobs? Set everything Where, else. Exactly. Thing, right? exactly yeah, yeah. Because that's the way it worked. Yeah. And, and that's why the southern towns had, you know, 60 or 70% of the crowd sometimes. And the big buildings were women. Because when you, in Tennessee, when you had a lineup like Stan Lane and Steve Kern and Jerry Lawler and Bill mm-hmm. Dundee and Dutch Mantell and the Rock and Roll Express and Terry Taylor, holy shit, you could have yeah. shot Playgirl magazine, you know, right? <laughs> so then you bring us in, you so, take us out to do these vignettes. Yes, and, and it, was, it was a play on the fab stuff. Yeah, yeah. And it was, I was just thinking, once again, and I know you guys are like, oh, God, but that's the thing. That's where you start what you guys make of it from there. And unfortunately, you didn't. You guys didn't get really a chance to to grow and expand because yeah. it was only that summer run, and then you broke yeah, your arm. And then yeah. poor Lance is there, as Adrian Street used to say, like a spare prick at the wedding, because <laughs> I've got one thrill seeker. <laughs> um, but but the the plan was just to get, yeah, especially for the younger girls. And but also, you know, you guys were so athletic and looked so good. I thought this is a mm. baby face. Tag team. tag team, yeah, yeah. For the future. I remember we went in the... <laughs> I've always had good talent spotting techniques, just sometimes rotten timing for them. <laughs> yeah. You, you, you took us to the uh, the Pigeon Forge area, and we did all the stuff. And you, if anybody asked who we were, you'd say, tell them, tell them you're the Briscoes. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. he wanted to keep it a secret. Yeah. Because we're and, the Briscoes. And then that was Jack and Jerry Briscoe, not even the Briscoes <laughs> yeah, for Bring yeah, of Honor, yeah, who yeah. Weren't, weren't even born at that point, <laughs> yeah, I don't yeah, think. Yeah. And, and, you know, and th- that's the thing is, is that... I've always tried to, in, in Ring of Honor, for another thing, I was, you know, big fan of, of guys like, who's Seth Rollins now, but Tyler, Tyler Black, Black and yeah. the Briscoes. Jack Double Barrel Cannon. Jack Double Barrel Cannon is who he said to Tyler Black, Seth Rollins yeah, should have changed his name, name too. <laughs> he could never remember his name. So he, what's, it, what's it, your champion's name? Jack Double Barrel Cannon. And with at ROH, we presented it to him at OVW that night, and he liked it. Yes, and we and said, then, we're going to change your name to Jack Double Barrel Cannon, and you'll have a midget sidekick <laughs> called Cannonball, and that's your finish. You roll the midget at... Uh, <laughs> But I've always... Fortunately, WWE signed him shortly after. Yeah. Yeah. I've always looked for the next guys. Once again, it it was always good to have the ability to bring in a Terry Funk Mm -hmm. or or a Road Warrior Hawk that works some shows for us or a top guy like that. But I was always trying to look for the guys that would be the next stars and see if I could 
get them while they were cheap and, yeah. and malleable, you yeah. know, so yeah. we could kind of mold do, them. Do you, do you miss doing that? Because you've done it your whole career up until a few years ago. I do not, at this point in my <laughs> life, miss it leaving the house. If I have to go to, and he'll tell you, if I have to go to the post office, I'm pissed. I'm like, God damn, i got to go all the way over to the post office. <laughs> he is. He was pissed today and, coming to my house. Yeah, and well, his parking situation is horrible. <laughs> and, and also, just at this point, I hate to be Debbie Downer, but... I like, I still like if I'm put in that situation at a seminar or a camp or whatever, teaching guys or telling stories, this is how you do it, or like with the ether thing, or, you know, like, no, dumb shit, don't take a glass bottle and really break it over your head, there's a way you do that too, (laughs) or don't do these things like for real when you can, you know, I like teaching, but... At the same time, sometimes I wonder if it's really worth it these days because everybody knows everything that's going on, and the guys are more worried about you know paralyzing themselves to do, to jump off the balcony and do some awe-inspiring move that the people are going to you know how the people are going to remember that when they leave the building at night. Hey, you remember that guy jumped off the balcony? He landed on that other guy. It looked like he killed both of them. What were their names? I don't know, but goddamn that dive looked great, right? I'd rather. People leave the building going, that f***ing Jim Cornette, god damn, I hate him. I want to have, boy, I hope that they get even with him next. They're mentioning my name. They're not mm. mentioning what I did. Right. I, I digress. I just wonder sometimes if, it's, if there's really a reason to do this anymore when everybody's all in on it to the point where the guys that are hospitalizing each other on Monday night are tweeting out pictures of themselves sightseeing, <laughs> you know, the f***ing next week. What the f***? <laughs> What the fuck is the matter with you people? I would have hired them or given them a raise just so that I could turn around and find them and fire them. (laughs) If they didn't work for me and I wasn't paying them, I would have hired them and given them a raise so I could turn around and fire them and find them. Now, Jimmy, so you can take a breath. And being as I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to get Mr. Jericho to do the bowling alley anytime soon, (laughs) I have a question. What a worker. What a worker you are. I have a question. (laughs) Um, When you left WCW and came to the WWE, and I honestly, and I, I swear to God on this, I think you have the greatest entrance ever in the history of professional wrestling, and especially the greatest debut ever. Right, well, thanks, man. Did you ever have any clue that the night they brought you out and all the buildup, that you would become as big as you are now? As opposed to, I don't to think level. anybody. You never, you never I think mean, that you way. You know, the Rock on your opening night, well, and that was all Vince's idea. My idea was the countdown clock. His yeah. idea was to have it typical Vince, great idea, make it even better by having it end right in the middle of Rock's promo. That was the, that was the crux of it. That's what made yeah. it so good. But and, and and then trust me, dude, there was a lot of hardship after that. The next week, I think I was losing to you know uh, Bull Buchanan on Sunday Night Heat or something <laughs> like this. It wasn't long before it came in. And very big and that's Vince you come in hot then you go down and you got to work your way up that the system is again, what you know? I thought was going to happen because yeah. they were notorious well, for that's how it is to WCW this day your talent and then burying them but to this it's, it's, and I don't want to say burial but you have to prove your worth because Vince doesn't know what's going on outside of the WWE walls that that's one thing that I always found challenging was to when you mention somebody to him when we were at his kitchen table or whatever dining room table writing shows and you'd mention some, somebody to him that he had never seen because they'd never worked there before. Mm-hmm. And you'd see that look and you would go, oh, God, it's going to be uphill because now I have to tell him how great this game. It took us forever. Jim Ross had to practically throw his body down in, on the grenade for Mick Foley. Rolling from Steve, because too, I think, would, Austin as yeah, well. Yeah, because he would look. 
he would look at pictures and go, oh, you know. But then, you know, once he'd get around guys. I but, think he likes doing things that way. Like, as someone, like it happens even with, with AJ when he came in or Kevin Owens or all these guys. It's yeah. like he doesn't, doesn't even really want to know. You know, like, okay, fine. Let's see what the guy's got. But I always, it just, as far as my philosophy, if I'm going to be the matchmaker, the booker, or whatever, the writer, or whatever they call them these days, if I know I want somebody to come in, if I know I want them to be in a spot, I'm going to floor it yeah, from yeah. the time they get there. Now, with a guy like Chris Candido, I've told this story a number of times. I started Chris off underneath because he was 20 years old. And he had never worked right, sure. really a territory outside. You know, I saw a ton of talent, but he wasn't there yet. So we start him underneath and we give him promos. But with the idea that over a year, year and a half, we're going to slowly bring this guy up to a main event level. Whereas if you see somebody that you think, okay, they're ready, I think they can do it. You're bringing a guy in for a top spot. You start him out and you floor it. Tracy Smothers, when I knew he wanted to be, I wanted him to be my top babyface. I brought him in, got him wins on TV, let him start talking from day one, and then start shooting. You know, I don't, I don't even know if we, I don't even remember who a heel may have been if we programmed him with a heel mm-hmm. just specifically for him to go over. If I just pointed him straight at Tony Anthony, the Dirty White Boy, for the title, but. Somebody was just mentioning this the other day. It was probably in the first year that Tracy Smothers was in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, he was probably beaten on TV once, mm-hmm. and that was by Tony Anthony, mm-hmm. who they were going to go to the houses with. But you had a good point, though, for a guy like Chris who was younger. If you would have started him out on top too early, it's not going to work, and then you're, and then you're, uh, you're stained. Yeah, you know, you've, and then you've, I've wasted. You've got the scarlet yeah. letter on yeah. it because you can, yeah. it's really hard to get back up again once, once you go down. Yeah. You know? So, I mean, that makes sense to me. And then that was even before, and it wasn't much before, but it was right before the people started figuring out that, wait a minute, they're pushing this guy more than he ought to be pushed, Rocky. Yes. And die Rocky, die and all that stuff, backlash became. I mean, in the old days, if you pushed a baby face, he had to be putrid <laughs> before the people would even question. I mean, like George Goulas level bad the promoter's son who oh, was horrible yeah. who was a horrible and a horrible physique and daddy said work. so and still he had fans that then finally started seeing through it like oh boy and i mean me and him <laughs> both had to sit through a lot of george goulas matches um but you know but for the most part back then the people wouldn't backlash but you didn't want to you didn't want to get a guy uh, put a guy in a spot that he wasn't ready for if you thought long term where you, you either brought a guy in to be a star now or you brought a guy in because he was a puppy with big paws. Mm-hmm. And you thought next year, mm-hmm. when he grows into this, he's going to be great. Right, right, right. Uh, last question. What's the, what's the best match you've ever seen, if you had one? Is there a favorite one for you? <sighs> the and first, for you too, Star Maker. The first five-star match on the official Cornette and Weasel Dooley rating <laughs> was March twenty third, 1981 in the Memphis Mid-South Coliseum, Jerry Lawler and Terry Funk. The first match they had in that 1981 program, double juice, chaos, no disqualification, a count-out finish that got over incredibly. Um, you've, if, when finally Funk is bleeding and he's on the, on the ground outside the ring crawling away and Lawler is standing over him, Paul Bunyan in him with the chair, and you can hear it hitting, and the women in the front row are climbing back up over the back of the seats with looks of horror on their face after they have gone through this match that goddamn just 
They threw babies in the air, right? <laughs> that, I think, is the favorite match I've ever seen live of all time, although there have been great ones. Man. Lawler and Dutch Mantell in the barbed wire, anything with Lawler and Dundee, the Midnight in the Rock and Roll, Midnight in the Southern Boys, Great American Bash. Who are uh, the Southern Boys? Tracy Smothers and Steve Armstrong. Right. They brought them in. Go back sometime if you get on, on your tour bus. You know that big <laughs> tour bus we saw parked out front? Yeah. It's bigger than the hotel. <laughs> It was the Great American Bash in Baltimore in 1990. And the northern fans, right, are going to get behind the baby faces called the Southern Boys <laughs> when they come out waving the flag and everything. But by the time the, the thing was over with, they gave both teams a standing ovation because mm-hmm. it just came together. Some yeah. of the, sometimes those things that happen. How about you, Starmaker? I have to agree with him on the match with Lawler Funk. We're in total agreement on that. But I have a five-star match that I know could happen that I want to see. The two best entrances in professional wrestling and my new favorite star in pro wrestling. I want to see you. Versus Shinsuke Nakamura. Ah, I would love to see that. We actually worked a match in uh, Tokyo last year. Yeah. And I pitched Vince to bring him in uh, for me to work with him at WrestleMania God, this I, year. I love him. And then we started he's doing the so Kevin Owens things instead. But he's he he's great because he, he doesn't do a lot. He does a lot, but not a lot. He's all character. He's Freddie Mercury. Everything he's Michael Jackson. he does is gold. Yeah. I mean, everything <laughs> and, means. And, and all he wants to do is go surfing. <laughs> Seriously, he loves surfing. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, you know, also he does a lot of business because uh, a star maker yeah. Bowling is the president of Bootleg Bowling Enterprises. Uh huh. And he has, of course, a variety of products, well, including Beats balls. by Bowling, and now Bowl- the Bowling balls, balls, balls that are, are the, 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 the 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 round shaped speakers. The Bluetooth Bowling blue the, balls are I expect to be our best yeah, big sellers. But yeah. he actually uh, he did a lot of business with Shinsuke when before Shinsuke changed his name to his wrestling name. His yeah. real name is Shinsuke Knockoff Mura. <laughs> and he does a lot of lot of those business. He's my main hookup in Japan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Guys, it's been great talking to you, man. Thank you so much. We could do ten parts of this. I was about to say we haven't even started yet. Really, really. Really. Come on back, and we'll do nine more. We'll do, yeah. we'll do more. Move, move to Louisville. Hey, yeah. tell you what, I'll give you a guarantee if I can have your merchandise money. <laughs> move to Louisville. I'll sounds, take care sounds, of you, kid. Sounds good. <laughs> Crook. Thanks again to Jim Cornette and star maker Kenny Bolin. Great time with them both. And despite chatting for over 90 minutes, uh, we barely talked about anything. <laughs> so I'll have to get Corny back at some point. Always controversial, always opinionated, but damn it, I love the guy. He's a good guy. Uh, he's got so many stories, really funny stories, and I've got so many from him uh, from my short time with him at Smoky Mountain. Uh, very, very funny stuff. And speaking of funny stuff, Team Tiger Awesome bring you funny stuff every Sunday. And of course, they bring it every week right there to talk is Jericho with their take on the news. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In Vatican news, RoboCop holds up. Earlier this week, a panel of experts gathered with the Pope for the annual check-in on Paul Verhoeven's bloody 1987 masterpiece, and this morning, pulpy red squibs spewed from the chimney of the Sistine Chapel, informing the world that the grisly tale of Officer Murphy's death and rebirth as a law enforcement cyborg is as politically relevant now as it ever was. I, for one, will sleep better tonight. In opinion news this week, turns out none of yours are correct. And now the edited for TV report. Shove it up your Alps, gains on you slug in a ditch. Flipping melon farmers gives way to a sharp rise in pluck my mop. And shares of monkey fighting sock sowers reached a 10-year high. 
For more silky smooth news, listen to the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday on the Jericho Network right here on Podcast One. All right, hit the subscribe button on the Team Tiger Awesome Show so you never miss an episode. Get to Apple Podcasts and subscribe for all the Jericho Network shows. And be sure to leave a five-star rating and review while you're there. Team Tiger Awesome, new episodes every Sunday. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus. They're having a debate about the Young Bucks this week on uh, Killing the Town there on Tuesdays. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon, Mitch talking with Marty Free. Guitar player extraordinaire. The Raven Effect has new episodes every Monday. And of course, the flagship show, Keep It at 100 with Conan on Thursdays. Beyond the Darkness, scaring the pants off you every single weekday. And Dave's going to be on Talk is Jericho very soon to share some true crime stories for Halloween. And he shares the true crime stories on True Crime Tuesdays, available at patreon.com. For five bucks a month, you can get a new true crime episode every Tuesday with no commercials. Sign up now at patreon.com. And if you want to keep up with happening on the Fo- with Fozzie or the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea. Anything that I'm about uh, up to, subscribe on Talk is Jericho. If it's happening in my world, you'll hear about it right here first on this show. And speaking of Fozzie, Fozzie is going to Europe. The Judas Rising European Tour starts tomorrow. Thursday, October 27th in Birmingham, England at the O2 Academy, Dublin on the 28th, Belfast on the 29th, Halloween in Chester on the 31st, Manchester on the 1st, London on the 2nd, Sheffield on the 3rd, Glasgow on the 4th, we are sold out in Glasgow, Newcastle on the 5th, then we head to Amsterdam on the 7th, Aschaffenburg, Germany on the 8th, Pretown, Switzerland on the 9th, Trezzo, Italy on the 10th, Roncade on the 11th, Rome on the 12th, Vienna on the 14th, 15th is Munich, 16th S. 17 Hamburg, 18 Gank, and listen, we are doing VIP meet and greets and pre-show mini concerts for all those shows, and the Fozzy VIP experience is one of the best out there, so get your tickets now at FozzyRock.com. Come see us, come rock with us. Thank you so much, and one last big thank you to all the great Talk is Jericho sponsors, and for all of you for supporting them. That's how I'm able to do two shows for you for free every single week. Big thanks to DDP Yoga. Go to DDPYoga.com slash Jericho to take advantage of the special sale. DDP is running exclusively for all you sexy beast talk is Jericho listeners. How about WWE 2K18 to see the whole game roster and discover all the great special features added for this edition? Go to WWE.2K.com. WWE 2K18 is out now. Get yours today. Thank you so much for listening. Keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next and this Friday. Getting ready for Halloween, and we got something really special for you. Live Paranormal is the website, and it is a terrifying, terrifying website, uh, terrifying experiences. These guys go out and find ghosts. These guys go out and find the demons. These guys go out and find otherworldly experiences. The experts from Live Paranormal are going to be here on Friday just in time to scare the pants off of you on Halloween. So we'll see you then. In the meantime and in between time, uh, have a great day. Stay hard, stay hungry, and a big yeah!